Friday, August the 5th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We actually do have two episodes for you back-to-back coming out. One of them is an entire preview of Louisiana Downs Saturday, a bunch of different guests, six stakes races, so we really get into the card. That card, if you haven't taken a look, all of the stakes races have eight horses. There are 60 horses in the 10 stakes, and they have a pick four and a pick five and a pick six. That's all stakes. The pick four is 15% takeout, pick five, 15% takeout, 50 cent wagers, traditional wagers, 17% win place show. So come and check out Louisiana for Saturday. It's an awesome card. I'll be helping out. I'm on the broadcast before and after each and every race. So uh, make sure to, uh, to tune in to that. On this episode, we're going to give out some Saratoga plays for Saturday. We'll talk some Del Mar for Saturday. We have an interview with Cindy Carava that we uh, inter- uh, we recorded on Monday earlier in the week, so we'll play that now. We talk all about uh, recent goings-on in the market and then the city of Arcadia in particular. We move on to NXT with Andrew Champagne. We dive into one of the best shows you'll ever see In the old wrestling rewatch, TakeOver New York 2019 NXT. Incredible show. So we do the uh, match-by-match deep dive, me and Andrew. We'll finish up with Miss Marvel Episode 6, the finale. Things have been a little bit backed up as far as the schedule because I got sick. We all had COVID, myself, Stephanie, Milo, all the family. So I've been a little out of commission. I'm still sort of getting the voice and everything back. So we were a little backed up with Miss Marvel but now we've got everything finished up. We've got that entire series, uh, season one, finished up. We'll hit Thor coming up in the next few days, so that way you'll have Thor. And then by the time She-Hulk starts in a few weeks, we'll be right up to date and uh, having the week-to-week recaps with Tim Kelly. So we've got some Saturday Saratoga, Saturday Del Mar, interview with Cindy. We've got NXT with Andrew on the old wrestling rewatch. We finish up with Miss Marvel episode six, the deep dive, and some final season one thoughts with Tim Kelly. This episode is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets. Make sure to give them a follow on Twitter. They have free analysis for all of you gamblers out there each and every day. A crew from all across the United States trying to help you become a better, better. Everything's free over at BTV, all the previews, all their analysis. So just head on over, give them a follow on Twitter at BTV Bets. Let's start talking some horse racing. Let's dive into Saturday, Saratoga, and Del Mar. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. 
tap the calendar icon on the top left, it opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets, get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches, and so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, Multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Remember, every Friday morning we have our Stable Duel live stream. We actually won't have it this Friday on August the 5th, but every Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, we have this weekend in Stable Duel live stream. Right now it's the Stable Duel summer stream. With Saratoga Best Bets also, we get into the Stable Duel schedule. Matt DeSantis, Barry Spears join me, and we dive all in. The schedule for this weekend on Friday, Laurel, Ellis, Monmouth, Gulfstream Park, and Del Mar. Then on Saturday, Monmouth, Gulfstream, Laurel, Ellis Park, and Del Mar. Sunday, Monmouth, Gulfstream, Ellis, and Del Mar. Basically, You're playing some fantasy horse racing here. It's the format that's the same, just like DFS, where you build your your lineup around a salary cap. Stable duel. Get those entries in and play, race, win. Let's talk some Saturday racing. Let's talk a little Saratoga. Get the past performances out for Saturday. It is the Whitney at Saratoga. A couple races that look a little chalky to me. The seventh race is the Glens Falls. I just... Not sure if they're going to be able to beat Warlike Goddess in there. That's race number 7 on Saturday, August the 6th. It's a grade 2. In race number 8, probably my uh, best play of the day at Saratoga. I'm looking at the number 9 in here, Osborne. He took up a little bit at the start last time out at Churchill on June the 19th. He had to settle 8th outside about 4 lengths off, and he was wide. 
He was in the five path at the top of the lane, kind of bumping around and shifting, and he closed really well. He just got out finished by Happy Jack that day. A little classier than him. Osborne fits really well in here. He does have those four minor awards, but I think he's a really good fit, and I'm expecting a big performance from Osborne. He's six to one on the morning line. If he's anything over seven to two, I'll make a win wager on Osborne. In race number nine, it's the test. Now, Matarea could be very tough in there if she doesn't get in trouble from the rail. A sprint race going seven from the rail with other speed can always be a little tricky. If she gets a, if she gets out of the gate and she's not, you know, getting Stuck behind horses She'll be tough The price horse that could get a nice trip coming from off the pace Is Chi-Town Lady Who's shown that she can close fine I think she could be the beneficiary If they go a little too quick early on in there In the Whitney It's a good group That American Revolution from the inside Second in the Foster behind Olympiad Last time out Happy Saver who is a grade 1 winner And on the outside You've got Life is Good does he really want to go this far? I know he won in a mile and an eighth at Gulfstream. I'm not sure how far he really wants to go, but he is fast and he is damn good when he's on his best. I think Hot Rod Charlie's a little a little sneaky in here. Kind of forgotten about. People are cold on him off of the the Monmouth effort in the Salvatore Mile. That race came back pretty strong. And Mind Control is a quality horse that he lost to. Hot Rod Charlie should have won the race, no doubt, but it was still his first start back from Dubai. Pratt jumps back aboard. He was not aboard him last time out. The blinkers come back on. I think he's just going to be a little bit better, and you should get some good value on him. If he's anything over you know, 7-2, to two, I think that fits really well in here. In the 11th, it's the Saratoga Derby. About the 10 Stone Age had a pretty tough trip last time out. He was closing with Nation's Pride. Neither one of them could get to Classic Causeway. Stone Age was saving ground inside toward the rear And he tried to make an early move in between horses And he just got shut off He stayed inside He ended up moving up nicely inside And then angled around four wide Was in between horses when he was closing He just got out finished for second They were both chasing the lone speed of Classic Causeway Stone Age, I'm going to give him a shot in here Johnny V jumps aboard That is Saturday over at Saratoga, a big day with some stakes action there, and the Whitney at Saturday, Saratoga. Let's head to Saturday, Del Mar. Give you a couple best bets for Saturday. We're going to look at August 6th, Del Mar, and let's start in race number three. They're going to go six furlongs on the dirt. It's a first level allowance. Not the Number five, scenic masterpiece trying the dirt for the first time is interesting. She's a three-year-old filly. She's been on the turf four times sprinting. She's been pretty good in all of her starts, and she had some sneaky trouble last time out. She was immediately in traffic. She was crowded. She had to back up out of that spot. It was off of a couple months. Her dam was a multiple stakes winner on the dirt. She has three winning siblings, all of them with dirt victories. She's got a shot in here. Scenic Masterpiece. She's six to one. If we can get anything around four, I'd make a win wager there. Moving to race number six at Del Mar. I'm looking at the number six in here. 3.0. They'll be traveling five furlongs on the turf course here. His two or her two races on the main have been interesting. She was a good third in the debut. She closed well and she was a little green. 
Then on May the 28th, she showed more speed, but she had a crowded start. There were six horses that lined up across the racetrack that day. She was three deep. She was right in the middle of all of that. And the horses who finished in front of her that day, the winner and the second place finisher, Fun to Dream, came back to win the Fleet Treat by nine and three quarters lengths. The runner up that day, Lady Marianne, came back to win a Calbred Maiden Special Eight by seven lengths. She'll be trying the turf for the first time now. The dam never tried the turf, but has produced three winning turf siblings. And at five furlongs, I think it's a good trip for 3.0. That's race number six on Saturday. 3.0 is five to one. Anything over seven to two will make a win wager there. Let's move to race number nine. It's the Clement L. Hirsch. She dares the devil hands down the horse to beat. I do think if you're playing pick fours, you would, I would use two horses in there. She dares the devil, and if she gets beat, it's probably because she had private mission to her inside and samurai charm to her outside. That should set up nicely for blue stripe. Now, she dares the devil can sit off a little bit, so if those other two want to go set the pace, she'd probably be okay sitting third behind them. So I'll end up using the five and the seven. In exotics, blue stripe is four to one. It, it, she is around 4-1. to one. I think that's a fair price to make a win wager. She kind of had a little sneaky trip where she was inside. She was forced to wait for some room. She had to back out of a spot and then angle all the way around. She lost some momentum. She lost some positioning. Blue Stripe I will use along with She Dares the Devil. In the 10th, the number 4, Tom's Surprise is a bit interesting here. First off the claim for Andy Mathis. If you just look at his recent turf form, it's really good. And it's very comparable for what it would take to win this race. He's actually been facing open company in a couple recent races. He was only beaten a a length and three quarters in the grade three San Francisco on April the 30th going a mile on the turf. His turf reform recently has a win and that other effort. And he's fine on the synthetic, obviously. But I think there's a little upside with him on the grass. Tom's surprise. Fits really well in the California Dream, and he's 10 to 1 on the morning line. We'll make sure to make a win wager if we can get anything over six, and we'll play him in all exotics. So that's Del Mar for Saturday. Good luck at Saratoga. Good luck at Del Mar. Don't forget, Louisiana Downs has that excellent Saturday card with the seven race cards. Six of them are stakes races, and all of those stakes have fields of eight plus runners in them. So come on out. Take a look at Louisiana Downs and their great racing on Saturday. Let's move on over to NXT. It's the old wrestling rewatch. Andrew Champagne joins for this one. We get to NXT TakeOver New York 2019. This is one of the best wrestling shows you will ever see. There is not a downer match on the show. Multiple five-star matches on there. It is fantastic. Andrew and me do the deep dive. Match by match. The Old Wrestling Rewatch, NXT TakeOver, New York, 2019. It's time for another installment of the Old Wrestling Rewatch. This week, it's Andrew Champagne and me, Gino Bacola, here getting ready to talk about, no hyperbole, one of the greatest wrestling shows that you will ever see. Honestly, there you may like other shows more. There may be little things that you could nitpick, but Andrew... I give you a hard time some, you know, because you'll pick some shows that we'll have fun with or that'll have a bad match or two. But this show was fantastic. And I think sometimes we forget how good this era of NXT was. This didn't even feel like the best era 
of NXT. It felt maybe like a couple years before this or a year or two before, but wow, there are so few things to be negative about or critique as far as the in-ring work is concerned. But I know we will find some things to critique on this show that sort of disappoint us moving forward. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun, and I use that term loosely, talking about how WWE hit on some people on this show. It's not a total offer. They hit on a couple of people. Yeah, and a couple are doing really well. Show, but they missed on a bunch for reasons passing any and all understanding. If you go back and watch this show, you come away thinking people like Aleister Black and Velveteen Dream and Pete Dunne and Johnny Gargano and Adam Cole, baby, are going to be the future of Slam the company. Dunks. Slam dunks. This is where you interject the Wade Barrett gif where he's behind a, a big podium with a gavel and says, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Having said that, my goodness, was NXT good around this time. And it gets a lot of praise for that 2015, 2016, 2017 stretch where you had guys like Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, a couple other guys, Sami Zayn, who were throwing out these ridiculous matches week after week after week. And make no mistake, though that was a great era, and you can watch any show from that time period and be thoroughly entertained. This may not just be the best NXT show WWE ever produced. This may be the best wrestling show on the WWE Network, and that is not a small statement. No, there are five matches on the main card. All of them go 15 minutes plus. And they, none of them, I mean, if depending on your particular taste, maybe if you were going to critique Two of the matches, you could say they were a tad longer than you might like. I did not feel, because of the five-match card, like they were overstaying their welcome. It wasn't like there was other matches that they were stealing time from, and they had good stories to tell. The two longest matches on this show were a match that dethroned a nearly two-year United Kingdom champion in Pete Dunne, and then a two-out-of-three falls title match to finally anoint Johnny Gargano and give him the belt that he had been chasing and cement him as the top guy and in, in a really big moment for him. So, yeah, maybe they were a little long going 25 and a half in 38 and a half minutes, but I don't know. I can't really nitpick those matches, Andrew. No, and we there's a lot of criticism out there about Adam Cole for reasons passing understanding. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it either. And we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. So ultimately (laughs) the one point that his detractors have that is sometimes true is there are times where his matches are a little long, but huge, but coming here, this was a two out of three falls match. Of course it's going to be long. Like in this particular instance, It's absolutely warranted. You mentioned the Pete Dunne Volter, and yes, I will be pronouncing it as Volter all throughout. It was either that or scream it because it's all caps. But that match that was 27 minutes, my goodness, they followed the Sting Vader playbook to the letter. And I am a gigantic Sting Vader mark, so I loved every bit of that. The only match on this show that I had lower than four stars 
was a women's four-way. And while the technical action wasn't perfect, it wasn't as crisp as everything else, Gino, Bianca Belair looked like the can't-miss star. Yep. She wound up being three years later. So who are we to really criticize that too, too much? And the honestly, the everything about that match, I really love because Shayna looks like the awesome sort of dominant heel Shayna that she was built as in NXT. Bianca, like you said, looks like a can't miss prospect. And then you've got Kyrie and Io who steal the match. And they're telling this whole story of, well, they're friends. They're going to try to work together, but then they might get in a situation where they have to go against each other. And they do. And they're both just firing on all cylinders. It's, and that, like you said, that's probably the the match people would say is the low point of the night. I don't even want to characterize it that way, though. I've got say, it at three and a half stars. If that's I, the low point, my God, what a show. I just cannot say enough positives about this show, Andrew. Just a really, really good one. And worth mentioning, um, just there were three pre-show matches. We had the Street Profits versus uh, Fabian Eichner and Marcel Barthel. So we actually see Eichner, who is now paired with Valter, and they are on the, the main roster. The Street Profits are, you know, whether or not they've won the big one, they're on TV a lot. And they get Montez a Ford is going to be a star. Yeah. He's, he, and you can tell somebody either said something to him or he just took the initiative on his own. He has put on like 20 pounds of muscle. He looks huge now. If you really, I love talking about men's upper bodies and uh, I sound like Vince McMahon here, right? Look at the striations in the muscles, but he's, he's really, (laughs) he's really added some upper body and you can see it. Like he just looks more like a single star. He was very thin framed before and and he hasn't lost his athleticism in it. So they, uh, They've been a team that's that's done some good work since moving up, but uh, Jackson Riker, eek, uh, don't don't have to get into him all that much because I wouldn't have anything positive to Please say in, in or out of the ring. Candice LeRae and Aaliyah. So Aaliyah, we've seen come up, do a little bit on SmackDown. She's been around for a while. Never, they never really have kind of figured it all out with her. She's sort of changed her look quite a bit. She's gotten better, but. They like her They've kept her around for a while Candice is obviously the wife of uh, Johnny Gargano So they're both Not not around So at least on the pre-show I guess uh, about one out of three As far as the matches and, uh, and how they've hit Yeah, something like that I mean, it's just Again it's been three years. We're not talking 10, 15 years. No, and that's years. a great point. We're talking three years removed, and a lot of the guys that you could see were either can't miss or were being built up are either nowhere to be found or just haven't panned out. It's And look, for as much as we bash WWE, we're going to be fair about this because there are guys they have absolutely hit on that were on this show, guys and and women alike. And that's great. But my goodness, we say it a lot on this show. Wrestling is at its best when it is simple. Take one look at Alistair Black and tell me how he missed. I know. I Yeah. And, it's, and, and, and here's going to be a lot of that as we go. When, and, and here's the thing, and I will say this to be honest. I don't, his presentation in AEW has been 
solid, but he came in there, beat Cody instantly, looked like they were about to put a, put a rocket right up him, right up the butt, like Gretchen uh, Christian would say all the time. And then they very much have cooled off on him. He's been more in a tag team, and I think he's getting to do creatively what he wants. But wow, doesn't this feel like a guy who should be a main eventer wherever he goes? And they haven't really figured it out with him all that well in AEW yet either. You know, we were at an NXT show several years ago in Los Angeles at LA Live in a theater they had there. It was a really cool setup. They had the ring on the stage. William Regal threatened to do a stage dive over the top rope. Um, And there was someone there. It was an industry journalist of some repute. It might have been Sap. It might have been somebody else who was basically saying, bet all your money that this guy will be in a WrestleMania main event within five or ten years. Whoops. And so let's, uh, let's dive in to this so one. before we get started, I noticed yeah. one thing because I noticed these things, and it's really strange. We've talked a lot about how WWE has started making edits to things that are in their library. Yeah. Some are highly publicized, some are not. You've got to look real closely to be able to listen to this one in the preview video that comes on right at the top. They edit war out of Mauro Ronaldo explaining something about the war Raiders. It's just Raiders. It's a bad blip when you focus on it. That was probably back when they were trying to push the revamped war Raiders as the Viking experience. And if you're not familiar with that creative blunder, I urge you go find it. It was unjustifiable even as it was happening. Andrew, I got to thank you again for this show. This was a good one. Let's it's get so into good. It's so it good. Is. It really is. And I forgot about how good it was. It, I, I did. As we get into NXT TakeOver New York, we are back in April of 2019. We're at the Barclays Center. And phew, crowd is jazzed right off the bat. We they New are, Yorkers, we bring it. They are pumped. We got to – and I've given Percy Watson some crap. As an announcer I think there were times where he just was not very good He was fine on this show He didn't stand out to me as anything negative He added I thought uh, Some tidbits that were at least intriguing He sort of stood up for himself A little bit too right Sometimes when when you're on a commentary team If you get picked on once or twice And then you let and you don't really fight back Then it can get ugly You can just kind of be sitting there really quiet And, and have a tough time getting the word in So Yep for sure I thought, I thought he did well here, and Moro is obviously awesome. You know, he's Nigel is, awesome, is excellent, but he's got some. Uh, he's got some things we'll talk about. Yeah, he he gets a little over the top and a little uh, a little pop culturey. Nigel's very good. I just enjoy the commentary team here. I thought I thought they had a, a pretty good night overall. As we get into NXT Takeover, and we get into the first match on the card, big entrance. Uh, the video package was awesome to start. It talked all about the NXT history and the buildup for these particular matches. And the first one with a nice entrance come the War Raiders. Andrew, hopefully we can get them just with a little more serious tone because they've been repackaged a little bit again. And th- the version that we're seeing of them now, at least the last few weeks, as of the time you and I are recording this, that's a closer version. 
to this version of them to the better the best version of them, not the comedic team that's bowling and throwing axes. So for those who maybe aren't as familiar with the Viking Raiders as they've come to be known, they started out in New Japan and Ring of Honor as War Machine. What an awesome freaking name for a tag team, right? Every so once good. in a while, Japan nails it. War Machine, the Miracle Violence Connection. Really cool stuff. So they came to NXT, and they hadn't been working together as a team all that long. It was only a handful of years in New Japan and Ring of Honor. They got rebranded as the War Raiders, and it still worked. And these were two, everybody grab your drinks, big guys that can move. And and they still can. I mean, these... The best comparison that I heard were the head shrinkers on speed because everything they did had so much power and urgency behind it. And there are very few lag points in any of their matches. They're intense when they hit. It looks like they're hitting people and it probably feels that way too. And gee, who are we going to program them with if we want somebody that's going to sell for them? How about the guy that just flips around in the air a whole bunch and hits the mat really hard? That's a great idea. Let's do that. Uh, the, these guys were presented so well here. And so a little bit of backstory for this match. It shows you how fantastic this was because everybody here knew that Alistair Black and Ricochet were on the way up. Yep. Everybody knows that they're, they've got a match scheduled. For WrestleMania the, the brand split is coming up In just a few days So they've already been brought up to the main roster This is like their swan song So nobody really was expecting You know Alistair and Ricochet to get the win here But they still put on This unbelievable match And it just starts right From the get go And the crowd was pumped to see Ricochet and Alistair Black And they were singing the songs And just treating these guys like they were major, major stars. We got a, a fun little back and forth with Black and Roe to start. Then Roe uh, Ro kind of stops himself. Black hits him with a kick. Then they they kind of were, you know, a little back and forth, and then they get a little fist bump out of respect because these are babyface versus babyface teams. You've got Ricochet who tags in, and he hits uh, head scissors, drop kick. Alistair tags back in, and then he throws Roe out of the ring, and he does the spot where he uh, he does the backflip and he sits down, and so Ricochet comes right in and he sits down with him together at the same time. It was so it was cool, really, really cool, and their timing was perfect that they just did it together. Crowd just chanting NXT. We get Alistair and Roe going at it. Uh, Ricochet hits a drop kick on Roe. Then Hanson uh, starts uh, handling Biz. We get a, a seated senton body slam on Ricochet. Then Roe slams Hanson onto Ricochet. Roe gets in. He starts working on the arm of Black. Um, Hanson hits a big body slam onto Alistair. And then Alistair comes back with a spin kick. Ricochet comes in. This pace is so so fast and at this point There was something weird happening in the crowd They're kind of looking around seeing You the crowd deserve was, it da, 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 da. Somebody yeah, got kicked out clearly Yeah they're having some fun with someone in the crowd And uh, Ricochet So Ricochet head scissors Shoulder tackle 
kick to the face, springboard clothesline, and a standing shooting star. It's all real quick. Alistair comes in, big forearms. Um, he works on row, kicks to the chest, leg sweep. Then row hits a big knee to the face. Here comes Hansen, big back drop, uh, body drop on Ricochet. Then a sidewalk slam, a cross body. He had a big running clothesline back and forth to Ricochet and Alistair Black, and the crowd just going nuts as he he's was running. going for like forty-five seconds <laughs> to a full minute, sprinting from one turnbuckle was... to another. And if you think that's not impressive, try it sometime. In the middle of a match where you're working and just it was really fun, and then Ricochet catches Hansen, and he. Like walks around with him for a second And throws him over his head Incredible <laughs> strength From Ricochet uh, Then Roe and Alistair Black are going at it Back and forth Shots to the head Black goes for a kick Roe moves Then Alistair blocks a kick And he nails a, a kick Then Roe, big knee I mean just back and forth with these incredibly hard strikes Alistair with a bridging German suplex for two Then we got Ricochet and Hansen they are going at it. Ricochet with a big roundhouse. Hansen maneuvers out of the way. And then he hits a handspring back elbow for two. Then he goes up to the top. Ricochet knocks him off. Roe comes in and nails Ricochet with the knee against the turnbuckle. And then Hansen hits this backsplash. And then a springboard clothesline off the middle ropes. Like he's flying around like he's a cruiserweight here. Another two count. And the only reason why this gets broken up, Andrew, is because Alistair Black comes flying in off the top rope with a double stomp to break up the pin. Now I understand, and I want I want you to pause right here for a second, just Please. for just for pace. I needed a breath. <laughs> if it sounds like there's a lot going on. That's by design. There were times where I thought this match might have been a hair on the overwhelming side, but at the same time, you're looking at these guys, and it's not so much like it's a sensory overload thing, but you're wondering, A, how the heck are these guys doing all of this? B, the timing that it takes to be in the perfect position at all times for all of these spots, and we haven't even come up to my favorite one, which is going to be coming up in just a couple of minutes, and it invokes my four favorite words in professional wrestling, space flying tiger drop. Yes, yes. Um, That was right after this. Um, After Black hits that double foot stomp, then the War Raiders are out of the ring. We get a big moonsault on Hanson from the middle ropes. Then a suicide drop from Roe. Then Ricochet with the, what was it, Andrew? The space flying tiger drop, which is basically Ricochet vaults himself into the ceiling, does a couple of spins, does a couple of flips, and lands like a beach ball in the arms of the person on the floor. It's just this wonderful sight to behold. And it's followed up by this 300-pound guy doing a fucking cannonball. And he goes, Moro, cannonball, mama mia, as he does. It now, just... look, Moro goes a little over the top sometimes. For that sure. one was justified. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, this was... 
crowd just NXT, NXT, NXT. Um, Ricochet and Roe get back in. We get a super kick from Ricochet. Then Alistair Black comes back, boot to the face of Roe. Uh, we get the Black Mass kick on Roe. Ricochet tags in, shooting star press. The the spot here, it this looked like it was it. They got the t- the double team spot, the Black Mass to the shooting star press. So they got him covered for the pin. And Alistair Black is playing blocker. He's standing right next to Ricochet, who's da- who's got row down for the pin. Referees in position and everything. He goes for the one. He goes for the two. Hansen gets into the ring and he pushes himself right through Alistair Black, and they all fall on top of the pin to break it up. Just- Everything about this was so good, down to. The amplitude that Ricochet gets on the shooting star press. Now, I'm a WCW guy. I watched Billy Kidman bring this move to the masses. I loved watching Billy Kidman work. That shooting star press was was pretty amazing. But it was amazing because, and I'm trying to be as polite as I can about this, Billy Kidman and jumping sort of had an adverse relationship <laughs> there. He's he fit a lot of spins into a very short time and it was freaking amazing how he did it. See how high Ricochet gets on that shooting star press. If you ever want to feel totally inadequate about your athleticism and your leaping ability, just watch that. It is the most awe inspiring thing you're ever going to see. This was so so cool. Ricochet and Alistair Black gets knocked out of the ring, and just awesome. Ricochet goes up top for the big splash, and Hanson pulls Roe out of the ring. So Black goes for a moonsault to the floor. Hanson moves, and he nails Black with the clothesline. Hanson gets the tag. Ricochet nails him with the kick in the head. But we get a pop up power slam by Hanson on Ricochet. A tope suicida, suicida on black. Then Roe picks up Ricochet. Hansen hits the top robe leg drop. They call it the fallout. The pin at 1835. Wow. I think on this show, I think I liked this match the most. Mainly because when I just glanced back at the card. And, and wasn't remembering the card exactly match for match. If I would have just... Gone through my expectations for each of the matches And a lot of that is probably how the War Raiders Have been treated recently You know, not seeing them have bangers like this On the main roster a whole heck of a lot I would have thought that this match was fine But it wasn't one that I would have liked as much And I would have expected all of the other matches To really deliver, which they did I think I was just maybe the most pleasantly surprised And reminded how fantastic this match was Andrew, a great Way to start the show And I mean this is a, a four and a half At least star match And I think depending on what your per- Preferential preferences are Your particular taste You can maybe elevate it or have it You know up a tick or not But this is four plus And I had it not quite five But like four and three quarters Four and three quarters is exactly what I had it, it the, the only thing that I'm picking nits on With that is There were times, and you could pick it up in our analysis of it, where maybe just breathe just for a couple of seconds, let us come down, and then bring us back up. But 
at the same time, this match wasn't designed to do that. No. This match was a thrill ride for 18 minutes that knocks you on your ass in the first minute and keeps you there with a whole bunch of really fun stuff. This was so cool. And there are some guys on the WWE roster right now that we forget had just tremendous runs in NXT. People don't talk enough about the War Raiders, the Viking Raiders, whatever you want to call them, and the run they had in NXT. People don't talk nearly enough about the run Bobby Roode had in NXT, where he was putting out four-star matches with literally everybody he shared a ring with, including Kota Ibushi on a couple of house shows. If you can find videos of some of those matches, take a look. They're freaking incredible. But we forget that because of what happened to them once they got onto the main roster. And this is probably going to be the shtick we do for for this show. After each match, I'm going to dive in and just give you a little bit of an update as far as how things go here. The War Raiders, the Viking Raiders, we've talked about them. They've been repackaged a ton. Just make them big guys that kick ass. That's all you need to do. You don't need to overbook these guys into oblivion. They could be a very easy, they're the type of team that you slot in to some main event on TV stuff against some of your top baby faces because they're big, tough guys that can have a fun 15 minute match and hit hard with them, but probably aren't going to beat those teams. Or maybe they do with some sort of chicanery, right? Like you could see them. They were the type of guys that Vince or the corporation would have gone and had beat up the baby faces. There's no reason why you can't use these guys Even if they're not going to be always wrestling for the tag titles, they can absolutely have a place on your roster, Mm -hmm. and it's better than what we've seen from them. Now, I— Gino, one word. One word for these guys. Demolition. Yeah. Just do that. You literally did this 30 years ago with guys that were smaller and nowhere near as imposing, wearing S&M gear on their way to the ring, and the only thing they had going for them was that great Rick Derringer song, that da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You have guys that can do that. Let them do it. And I'm not even always against when WWE goes in a comedy route with some teams or people or characters for a while. Because it actually, it's in a weird way, it's a positive when they even try doing that with you. Because it's like they want to see what you can do. And if you can show that you can do a lot... Sometimes it's good. Other times you get stuck tracing the 24-7 title around. It just, it really depends. Even with some of those 24-7 guys, most notably R-Truth, R-Truth is going to go into the WWE Hall of Fame for his comedy stuff. There is nothing wrong with being a comedy guy, having a stable paycheck and being able to do that. But my God, if you had told anybody who had watched this match or the War Games match that the War Raiders were involved in. I believe it was them, Ricochet, and Pete Dunne against the Undisputed Era. Tell me those guys are comedy match guys three years later, and I look at you like you have six heads. Now, we've talked about Aleister Black. They called him up. He floundered. They brought him back for a week. He cut this fantastic promo on Big E, and and then then he was gone. It was like, what? Yeah, Yeah. it was so weird He's finding his footing in AEW with the House of Black And they've been able to do a lot of really cool stuff It's not main event type stuff But they've had 
some some kick-ass matches. And if that elevates the guys that he's with, the Brody Kings and the Buddy Matthews. Who's who's actually the number one contender right now. He just won that. He uh, Brody King just won a battle royal on Rampage yeah. last week, uh, the uh, the week before we were taping this. He's a good, and that's a fine like TV match, right? It's Monster not going to be the main of event the week. Yeah, of your exactly. pay per view, but you have a a formidable opponent, a big guy for Moxley to go beat, and exactly. you know, look look impressive. And so I I just would like to see more from him. I think they absolutely could be a team. That could have some bangers with the Young Bucks If you put him in a tag team title match Or he's the type of person who It's hard when AEW now has a very deep roster But if you told me You were going to put him anywhere on the roster I wouldn't tell you it was too high of a spot Right, precisely The guy just has it Now, the other guy here is Ricochet And this one's a little bit tricky It is Because you were never going to get World champion Ricochet It just wasn't going to happen but move set wise, he's as close to Rey Mysterio as you're going to get. The problem is he floundered for a little while. He finally wins the Intercontinental title earlier this year, and they don't even put him on the WrestleMania card. Come and, on. And then what was so weird about that was following that, he might have been on TV every single week since then. It's literally just it's weird it's, and it's weird booking because I'm glad he's one of those guys where like you're saying we're we're not gonna get a main event ricochet most likely at least right now with this current you know iteration of who's in charge in WWE but there is always a place for a very good worker that does the type of things that ricochet does and when I say very good I that's the biggest understatement in the world. He is one of the most unique, incredible athletes in the ring currently in the entire world of wrestling. Period. Yep, Anyone that's for any, sure. Anywhere. He he can at least be on your show all the time. Him and Mustafa Ali, those guys, if you're gonna have them losing matches, at least have them being the guys in the matches, getting you good matches on your TV for 10 or 15 minutes. So the I'll give a little bit of credit because at least we've seen Ricochet. I mean, there were time periods where we didn't see him for months at a time on TV. Right. Now, the thing that helped him, and this this matters right now, a couple of years ago when Paul Heyman had the pen, there were three guys that he pushed further than anybody probably wanted him to. Those three were Ricochet, Mustafa Ali, and Aleister Black. Black is obviously gone now, but there are rumors that Heyman might be up for a leadership position on the ever-changing creative team. If that happens, you'll know by the way they treat Ricochet. And I think maybe the way he's being treated now, given the exposure he's been given, maybe that's a clue. He's And he lost his IC title recently to Walter, now Gunther, but... It, it doesn't bother me that he did because, like Andrew mentioned, they weren't doing much with him with that title. And also, he, the artist formerly known as Valter is a freak, and I will never say anything bad about him. No. Because otherwise, he will come to my apartment and he and can, shot my chest raw. So if they're going to want to push him and get behind him, fine with that. Ricochet's got to get a little bit better on the mic. I think. I think there's been improvement there. And you can tell that he is someone who, while he's a, a 
loves wrestling He loves the WWE He wants to be a big star I think he wants to really make it in the WWE He's tried and done what, Everything they've asked of him And it's funny while, while It's never really felt like he's had This fantastic run When you sort of start to go through his credentials They're really not bad You know You start diving in They He challenged at Mania for the tag team championships He Was in the money in the bank match A couple times He won a He won the US title Beating Samoa Joe So he's been the US champ And he's been the IC champ And also really quick One of my favorite moments with him He was the other guy in the ring When Drew McIntyre eliminated Brock Lesnar at the 2020 Royal Rumble. And that was about the time where Paul Heyman had the book because he was also pushing a young woman by the name of Liv Morgan, who has finally just won her first title. And I got to tell you, WWE promos don't do a heck of a lot for me these days. They just they a lot of them seem cookie cutter and like someone else wrote them because most of the time that's what happens. She seems organic. She She's does. really easy to root for. And she might not be the six-star machine that Dirt Sheets want a champion to be, but she has gotten so much better. She tries. She cares about what she's doing. And I, I needed to throw that out there because glad you did. seeing her get pushed is really, really cool. I loved it. I thought it was a good weekend for them in that the, the show wasn't without flaws top to bottom. But Liv Morgan is now a star Now we'll revisit this in a month If she loses immediately I don't know how much that's going to do for her But if we give her the opportunity To get a couple nice wins along the way She doesn't have to have a year long title run But if you have her win a couple matches And she holds this thing for a few months And then she really feels like she's elevated now In just slightly Which she has been lately I think that's great for her And uh, yeah Ricochet Let's see if we can get just consistent Ricochet He was in the title match against Brock He got squashed, but that was at Crown Jewel He was also on uh, Team Hulk Hogan at Crown Jewel Um, So he's had some moments You know, he's been in the Money in the Bank multiple times He was in the King of the Ring tournament I mean, Ice, like we said So just let's get one definitive run I think for him mainly, it's Can we think of one real feud that he's had? I can't That's the problem, right? He can have the greatest matches in the world Or really good matches that they'll let him have But nothing has ever seemed really personal Or something that could kind of take it to the next level So hopefully we can see Because yeah, in this in this three of the four of these guys Are at least on the main roster still But it doesn't feel like any of them have really been at a home run Or honestly, we don't need a home run, Andrew But just sort of comparable to how they felt On NXT And that's the problem And look NXT is supposed to be developmental And if you're comparing this era of NXT To current NXT Which is NXT 2.0 You're going to be disappointed by the current product It's not the same It's not the same objective When they got TV time It changed the product Now that might have been the smart financial thing to do And WWE is making more money now Than they ever have before 
So I don't want to say, oh, it was a mistake doing this, and da 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 because the shareholders certainly do not see it that way. And if money is the scoreboard, they're beating me. They're beating me over the head with the stacks of cash they have from the WWE product. Having said that, as a wrestling fan, it's disheartening to see the way some people that got airtime on this show have been used, yep. and that leads us to the people we saw in the crowd between match number one and match number two, Gino, this one's going to hurt. Yep. We got a commercial for uh, WrestleMania triple H versus Batista. I, that's the WrestleMania that just ended like 15 minutes ago. Right? Someone yeah. Call Darren and see what traffic is like coming out of MetLife stadium. And then Johnny Gargano backstage warming up for the, the big title match. He's in the main event. Then in the crowd, NXT UK superstars Tony Storm and Piper Niven First up, Tony Storm Who didn't really get all that much time on NXT herself Or really pushed all that much on NXT And she's someone that we kind of always said Why wasn't she getting a little bit more? She's got everything She's good in the ring She's got a look She can talk She's just a little bit unique and they bring her up to the main roster. They start and, they and threw stop. a pie in her face. Well, they they act they they like teased her once, and then we don't see her at all for another month, two months. Then she shows up in the back in like a quick little scene with Ziggler, and then about three weeks later they start building her. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, now they gave her a couple wins. They put her in a feud with Charlotte, where. Yeah, they did throw the pie in her face, and it's funny because she she talked about it after. It's like when you're a baby face, you know that you're in WWE. You can expect some stupid stuff like that to happen. I, that really wasn't what bothered her in some of the interviews and stuff that I've heard from her after. It just she just didn't seem like they really cared about her. Honestly, she just honestly thought she was a piece that they were going to give up a, a small little you know uh, run to and then back down and never felt like she was. You know, really making it And I'm mean, happy for her that she got out of there She's done some good work so far in AEW I was a little surprised As of the recording of this I actually thought they were going to have her beat Thunder Rosa, Andrew um, When she faced Thunder for the title And looks like that might be a feud That they continue on with But it it's As long as they can find room For Tony on TV I think she'll be okay But AEW does have a little bit of an, an issue where They've kind of got Jade, who's a big star. They've got Thunder, who haven't really been giving as much time as Jade. And then a lot of their other stuff isn't really on TV. So you sort of hope there's some room for Tony because it's like with some of these women in AEW, this happens in WWE too. You get a shot at the title, you don't win. Then where do you go? Do you have to go all the way back down to the bottom of the line, which is sometimes off TV? The AEW women's division is in a very, very, very strange spot. And I do not want to say it is a bad spot because you no. can tell they have pieces they like and, and they're, they're trying around them. I'm going to make a comparison right now. Jade Cargill is the female Lex Luger. She has every aspect of the look, the presentation down pat. She is a star and you know it when you see it. She just needs to learn how to work. Now, we take a look at Thunder Rosa. Weird booking with her. 
there's rumblings coming from backstage that maybe she's not the easiest person to work with or has become that way because of the way that she has been booked. And I'm not one to comment on that sort of stuff. One would think if it was anything serious, they would have taken the belt off of her at Forbidden Door. And they've got a couple other pieces that are very useful. Ruby Soho has been pushed a little bit above her station. She is the perfect veteran gatekeeper type, but she's had to be one of the top baby faces just because there's not a lot of baby face depth on that women's roster. They and it kind of hurt push- her when she came in and didn't really win anything much right. of, they- of anything too. So yeah, that- and they've had a problem with booking female baby faces in AEW for a while. They booked Riho very, very strong, but honestly, I never got it with her. I agree. She takes a beating really, really well, and there's a place for that. But like, I, I like Takaru Shida, but she's in and out. She's doing other stuff with Japan. They did bring in the artist formerly known as Ember Moon. They're pushing Chris Statlander, which I like a lot. I think she's got real potential to be the kind of badass face that is a lot of fun to watch moving forward. There's a place for Tony Storm somewhere in there. At a minimum, I honestly thought, and it doesn't appear like they're going this way, given what happened at Blood and Guts, but I thought it made all the sense in the world to put her in a feud with Ty Conti, and then at some point, you crack open the forbidden door just a little bit, and you get Tony Storm and her Are they married? Are they engaged? I know she is with Juice Robinson. Yep. You get those two against Sammy and Ty in a mixed match. Oh, I like that. That that has the potential to be a lot of fun. Oh, Andrew, nice. Where's my territory, damn it? There you go. I like that. I like that. (laughs) Well done. Good stuff there. Uh, I could see that. There's a place for her there. It's just the landscape is a little bit strange, and you get people that were very prominent in the women's scene that, don't get a lot of TV time. I mean, Anna Jay has, what, 20 matches under her belt? Penelope Ford has a fantastic look and gets no TV time at all. It's strange the way that it shook out for a lot of different reasons. I think the answer to a lot of their problems is getting a Brinks truck backed up in her driveway right now as she looks at contract offers for another season of The Mandalorian. <laughs> yep. But... We'll see how that goes. I know WWE is trying very hard to smooth things over because seriously, if you let Sasha Banks walk, you're a moron. But that's where we're at right now. Tony Storm should have been a far bigger deal in WWE than she was. Piper Niven is now better known as Dewdrop, and she's improved considerably as a worker. They brought her in as Eva Marie's muscle, I guess you could call it, like the, the big imposing bodyguard. Well, Eva Marie was in and out in about five minutes. Dewdrop, however, is a capable mid-card heel at this point. Yeah. They've they've done she's better the, than I thought they would do with her. I agree. And I just wish she's she's got a place on the roster, right? Yeah. She's she's got a unique look. She's got size. You can always use someone in the female in the, the women's division who's, you know, gotta play the big heel. Right. That's what like you need that role to be played all the time. Um, And she yeah, she's improved as a worker. I just the name was so awful. Like if we just got back to Piper Niven, that's a cool name. It's a good name. Viper Piper Niven. There you go. It's 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 good. And uh, we're going to get to another very good match. We got the video package to set up the North American championship match. Velveteen Dream and Matt Riddle. We get the the bro entrance. 
as Morrow compares Matt Riddle to Zion Williamson. Thought that was kind of funny. We haven't haven't seen Zion play all that much, but he's still got a big contract extension. He looks pretty darn good at the, the other day table. Yeah, he definitely does. He definitely does. <laughs> and uh, Velveteen Dream with the big entrance, like a Statue of Liberty with purple all over the place, carried in Before on a throne. Before we go forward, we should probably at least pay attention to the elephant in the room here. Oh yeah, we don't know what happened. With Velveteen Dream There is a lot out there That we're not going to know For a very long time There were allegations of sexual harassment And grooming There was a movement saying Fire Velveteen Dream He talked about it a little bit earlier this year In an interview with one of the wrestling media outlets Where, as he put it WWE did an internal investigation Now, If you follow the Washington Commanders and their definition of internal investigation, we don't know what went into internal investigations. We and that is not to say that he is guilty and they said he was innocent. We don't know. Okay, we're trying to be fair to everybody involved. We don't know. They tried to apparently bring him back in a smaller capacity at a Thunderdome show, and there were several fans who were being seen visually on the screens who immediately turned their screens to hashtag fire velveteen dream. He wasn't getting reactions because of everything that had gone on previously, whether he did or did not do that is almost beside the point at this point, because the crowd had decided he did. He wound up being a casualty of cuts soon after that and has not been seen since in the world of professional wrestling. Now, I say all of that to bring to this point. We forget this about this match. Matt Riddle had been wrestling professionally for four years. Now, he had been a UFC fighter for several years prior to that. So he wasn't a total greenhorn. But still, he'd only been in a wrestling ring for four years. Velveteen Dream was 23. And if you would have told me that he would have been this generation's ravishing Rick Rude... I would have believed you. This guy had a lot of things down pat that some very good wrestlers never learn. And this match was damn good. Just natural stuff. Selling the way he hit body language, the way he 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 just was naturally athletic, but kind of in like a weird way. It wasn't like smooth. It was kind of unique. He yeah, he. He had it all together, and I'm glad Andrew mentioned all that stuff at the beginning because it's hard. If I, I hope one day we will find out more, and maybe we do, maybe we don't. If we did, we'd be able to at least comment on it more, but it's so uh, – we have no idea really what, what a lot of the specifics were. We do know that this match was great. We get dueling chance for both. This was, again, another – Babyface, babyface match. We get Velveteen Dream doing the Hulk Hogan with the uh, listening to the crowd, putting the hand to the ears. This was at the time period where he was doing a lot of the Hogan cosplay stuff, where he was, and it would be great when he would get into the Hogan stuff. The crowd would just love it. So, what we were getting here was Riddle, lots of kicks to the legs of Dream, very aggressive, intense Riddle early on to kind of a, a Dream that wasn't quite ready. For the intensity early to start the match That was the story they were telling 
And he's t- Riddle's tossing Dream around. He's just a little too tough for him early on. We get a cool arm bar, uh, arm bar takedown. Dream does the Hogan back rake to the uh, to Riddle, and then Riddle comes right back and hits a couple gut wrench suplexes. Dream is really selling nicely. Um, he hits a uh, Riddle hits a German suplex on the floor. Then he gets a splash onto Dream. Then Riddle hits a jumping kick to the face, forearms all over, explorer, su- uh, exploder suplex, then a uh, Broton splash, running kick. So Riddle, for a lot of this match, is on offense. And he is on hard hitting offense. He keeps going for the arm bar, keeps going for the submissions. Dream like squirms his way out and just like kind of kicks his foot to the bottom rope so he can break the hold. Um, knees to the face. Fisherman Buster from Riddle, another Broton splash. Dream gets to the ropes again. Riddle um, goes for the arm bar, but Dream gets out of it. Re- uh, Riddle continues to go uh, work on Dream, knees to the chest, kicks to the chest, just nailing him hard. And then Dream starts the Hulk up, and the fans go crazy. He got he does the the finger wave, and then he hit. He hits a big boot that completely misses Riddle, but Riddle sells it great, like like he should, and goes down for it. Then Dream starts to get some good offense in. Famouser, he goes up top, and uh, Riddle hits him with the knee to the face. But then Dream comes back with a code breaker. He goes for uh, a big boot, but then Riddle grabs him and slaps on the ankle lock. Then Dream kicks out the leg, so Riddle ends up going to the other leg for the ankle lock. Dream gets out, he hits a big super kick And then the Dream DDT He hits the Dream Valley Driver Goes up top for the big elbow But Riddle grabs his arm And he counters it into the Bro Mission arm bar Then Velveteen is able to get to the ropes Riddle goes face first into the top rope And that gives Dream a little bit of a, a moment He um, Riddle actually hits Dream on the apron German suplex for two That one on the back of his neck Oh, It was a brutal looking spot So Riddle goes up top He's in control Floating bro for two Everybody thought that was it That felt like it The place goes nuts uh, Dream kicks out And then he's able to battle back Super kick But Riddle hits a power bomb Knee to the face And when he looks like he's about to end it With the arm bar Dream rolls him up And he pins him at 17 and a half and Riddle was in control of a lot of this match. If we were going to divide the time, it would have been more than 12 to 13 minutes of this match. Like Dream maybe had three to four minutes of a 17 and a half minute match. He still got a lot of his fun offense in. This was a good story. What I love about this card, Andrew, in the five matches, they're all great. And they all felt different and unique And they had it, their own story Or they had its own life This was really, really good This was a very good match I was prepared to give it three and three quarters What got me to four stars though And there are only a couple of matches That have ever done this with me Riddle, for as good as he is in the ring Doesn't get nearly enough credit For his facial mannerisms It's a great little bit of business That he does afterwards after he gets rolled up, his reaction and the entire post-match stuff is amazing. He lost absolutely nothing in that entire match. The way the story was told 
Riddle, who WWE clearly knew was going to be a thing for a very long time, was in control of the match for two-thirds of it, minimum. Velveteen Dream winds up rolling him up because, honestly, at that point, he needed the title more. He was still on the way up and establishing himself and whatnot. Riddle's reaction is just incredible because he's trying to figure out what happened because, in his mind, he had the bro mission locked in, and all of a sudden, he lost the match. It's a cool bit of storytelling. They do the respect bit at the end. Again, these are two guys who were by no means experienced veterans. These were two guys that were still learning, and they put on a four-star match. That's how good this product was. And we talked a lot about Velveteen Dream. I would have not... I knew Riddle would have had a place, but I was very worried about Riddle coming up to the main roster. He's someone who... You just wondered if they were going to get him and understand. And I will say, there was a time period where it was kind of cringy, and he didn't really, he wasn't really getting over all that much. The, the crowd best was, thing that ever happened to Matt Riddle was Randy Orton. Yep, but but even I will say, even before that, when I did not like his character, they've never had him be treated like a joke in the ring ever on the main roster. From when he got rolled, from when he got called up, he's never been one to get sort of silly two second pinned in roll ups. They've always given him nice 10 minute matches or so on TV to look good. They didn't make him change his character at all or his style of wrestling. They let him be as close to a version of Riddle that we could have possibly imagined on the main roster. And right now, as we are recording, he is one of the most over baby faces on the roster. He, if you tell me when within the next six months to a year, Matt Riddle wins the world title, I would not be surprised at all. If you said he's going to win the Royal Rumble, if you said he's someone that, you know, will go on and beat, I don't know about Roman, but something like, you know, win the title. I, it, it wouldn't shock me where he's placed right now, Andrew. Yeah. He is a guy that has a lot of the tools and he's just, I don't know if being allowed to be himself is entirely accurate, but is it darn close to what we were seeing in NXT several years ago? Yep. And Mm -hmm. when you let people be versions of themselves, more often than not, it's going to work. Again, you don't need to reinvent the wheel with certain people. And in this case, Riddle had a lot of his shtick down pat from the moment he walked into a professional wrestling ring, he just, he had it. He got it from a very, very early juncture. And he's a guy that is going to wind up and has wound up making WWE a considerable amount of money. Yeah. If it, crazy when they let some of these people be themselves and kind of be a character or a persona that they are comfortable with, that they've been working on for years and years and years. Wow. They get really over and I they mean, can make people money. List, look at the list of people. We can say that about riddle, Becky Lynch, Cody, my God, I, this is not hard. You, and look, WWE writers are doing the very best they can do in very challenging situations. I'm not knocking them for that. You don't need 40 writers to tell someone, just be yourself. We then got a commercial for Lesnar-Rollins match at Mania. An 
Adam Cole is in the locker room with the undisputed era Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong, and Bobby Fish. He was getting ready for the the title match. Adam Cole. One in the main of those event. things is not like <laughs> the other. One of those things just doesn't belong. Roderick Strong stuck in NXT as the guy that is sort of a square peg in a round hole, while I the know. other three guys are headlining shows for AEW. And I, I, there was a thing a couple months ago where he apparently was looking for his release because he's not stupid, but he had just re-signed a contract last year. Now, last year, he was heading a stable called the Diamond Mine that had some real prospects in it. There was a gentleman by the name of Malcolm Bivens, a.k.a. Stokely Hathaway, that was in the picture, too. And then WWE cut them all. They have done Roderick Strong no favors. I know. He's someone that is a... People forget how good of a worker he is. I'm pretty sure as you and I are recording this, he's in a tag team title match. Him and Gable Steveson's brother against the Creed brothers, which at the very least should be an awesome match. Um... On, on I think on NXT TV, so that's something I'll uh, I'll keep an eye on, uh, because man, this guy would have hour long matches in Ring of Honor, stuff with Jay Lethal and just some pro wrestling damn. gorilla too. He had damn. a match with Drew Galloway, better known as Drew McIntyre, at a show I was at back in 2016, and just the guy was such a smarmy heel that everybody wanted to punch in the face. But that backed it up in the ring. Again, simple character. We got a look at Kushida. He signed with WWE, so we saw the video of him signing Triple H, William Regal. Bummer. We don't see either of them a whole lot uh, too often anymore. William Regal in AEW. Kushida, who is now back in New Japan just recently. So Kushida, uh, Moro talks about him, six-time IWGP junior heavyweight champion. And uh, he unfortunately just didn't have quite the run. He had a couple, couple very good matches that you would expect from him in in NXT, but they just didn't really know what to do with him. Then it, it felt like they were about to get behind him, and they just, I think he had a hard time connecting his promos. His character just didn't really get over as much. He didn't doesn't really seem to have as much natural charisma as maybe like a Nakamura. So it for some reason just unfortunately didn't connect. Yeah, next, and it was it was sort of predictable. You, I Kushida agree. had a ceiling, and he was still a very good worker. He had a match with a heel Johnny Gargano for the North American title, and that was probably the best match he had under the WWE umbrella. That was pretty darn good. He also had one really cool moment that a lot of wrestling completionists very much enjoyed. He was in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. I believe his partner got injured. And NXT thinking, oh, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? They went and they got, on a one-night deal, Kushida's former partner in a team called the Time Splitters, Alex Shelley, for one match. And it was was cool because you... Nobody thought that was going to happen. Even with guys that don't necessarily pan out, you can have fun with those characters and with the options they give you. It's just a shame that he hit his ceiling and probably did so pretty early. I don't know if he was ever going to be a main roster guy. The promo work wasn't necessarily there, but, and also he came around 
at sort of a weird time for mm-hmm. NXT because when AEW came last around, stages, yeah, yeah, when AEW came around, NXT turned into something different. It went from one hour to two, and I'm not saying it was bad. It was different, and I don't think that was the atmosphere that maybe he expected when he signed on. Well, and then, and then I think I think since then, WWE has done a smart thing and said, "Hey, look, they're gonna fill." The void that we were filling with this version of NXT We're not really trying to make this a third brand anymore I think the pandemic may have hurt that a little bit too for them Because they weren't touring They weren't really able to make as much money with with shows AEW comes along And the same It, it scratches a lot of the same itches that NXT would, would For the fans of that kind of in-ring work And so WWE sort of said Hey, you know what? We're not going to try to do the same exact thing they're doing Let's just go back and Groom people for the way that we want to do it On the main roster And I I think that's a smart Business model It's just a bummer that we don't have this version of NXT anymore We do get a lot of these Same types of things in AEW But I don't know I still there, When WWE can do something Well and I will count NXT in As WWE because you still get the same Type of production and promotion And sort of like t- major league um major like a major league organization that has all these years of experience putting on a big show when something is big and done at the top top level in WWE it just can have a way of feeling a little bit bigger than anything else because of the reach they have yeah and that's why it's so disappointing when they get stuff wrong yep. because you know when they get stuff right Nobody can match them Night one of Wrestlemania this year Gave me goosebumps For the first time in years I was openly proud to be a professional wrestling fan Because of how good that show was Let that sink in But then you get situations Like what the former Ember Moon outlined Where after years Of Triple H revamping The NXT women's division He goes away to deal with his health problems John Laurinaitis comes in and in the words of Athena starts telling everyone to look like Mandy Rose. Yeah. You can't be bragging about a women's revolution while also actively setting your product back. And that's nothing against Mandy Rose. And it wasn't anything against Mandy no. Rose, but it goes back to a time period where the product was less than what it is now. And Ultimately, that's the reason why, while NXT 2.0 has a lot of good points and they're developing a lot of people that are going to be names in the coming years, if you try to compare this version of NXT to the version we're talking about now, you're going to be very disappointed, especially because you're not going to get stuff like the next match we're going to talk about. No, this was awesome. And again, just different than the matches that we saw. It was hard hitting, but in in a totally different way than the the Dream Riddle match. We have Volter versus Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne had been the United the UK champ here for 685 days. Walter had only been around for a few months. He just showed up in January and. Pete Dunne challenged him This was a big get for WWE This is a big get for WWE, Andrew Because he is someone who was a major player On the independent In uh, in the independence 
He's someone who was a huge player on the UK scene, but he had, I think, notoriously not wanted to come over and and live here and spend a lot of time in the United States. He didn't want to be away from his home, but they must have really backed up the bink the Brinks truck because not only did he come over here for NXT, he was treated very well in NXT. He's been brought up to WWE. He's on SmackDown. We'll talk about his look now, but they are treating him like they have big plans for him and like they really like him. And he is being presented like a big star. He has a a mouthpiece. He still has sort of the nice entrance where he comes out. He feels like a really big deal when he does. So as far as at least the presentation of him is concerned, they seem like they're pretty invested in this guy. And it, it felt like this from the very beginning, right? When he comes in a few months in, he's in a match like this. They have him win a big match. And so Pete Dunn may not be on the same trajectory, Butch, but Walter's in at least a decent spot. He's the Intercontinental Champion on SmackDown right now. If you have not seen Walter's NXT UK debut, do yourself a favor. Pause this podcast. I won't hold it against you. Pause this podcast. Go look it up. What you will see is the lights going down. Which immediately you know something big is going to happen. You hear the first two notes of Walter's theme song. But they intentionally left the theme music that he had on the independent circuit because it was the inspiration of the theme music for Jaws. The but bump 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 like you know somebody big is coming mm-hmm. to wreck shit, and then they throw the spotlight. And you see the black robe. You see this big, humongous mountain of a guy standing with his arms behind his back, shoulders back. He looked like every bad guy in a Captain America comic book from around the World War II era. That's a look you can't buy. It was organic. And if you messed with him, he was going to chop your chest raw. There is no subtlety with Walter, and that's why it worked. Now, we should make people aware of this here, Gino, because I am in full, you know, we need to be transparent about all of these. There have been some casting changes for uh, this wrestling show. Playing the role of Sting will be Pete Dunne, and playing the role of Vader will be Walter. Again, Pete Dunne is Sting, Walter, Vader. Carry on. Oh, that's funny because the two shows that I'm deciding between picking uh, for our next old wrestling rewatch both have both of them on the show. So it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned those two. I'm glad that you did because we hadn't talked about that at all. But wow, um, this was awesome. We get a little uh, Vic jo- uh, Vic Jacobs joins because he was the UX uh, the NXT UK announcer at the time. We get a little Matt stuff back and forth, and then done. Was the the smaller man, so he was the quicker. So he was trying to use some some speed early on. Big strikes back and forth, hard chops from Walter. Stiff knee to the face, big boot to the throat of Dunn. He sets him up on the top rope, and he's just sticking his his foot right in the throat of Pete Dunn. Big suplex. Um, he's going. Uh, Walter's working on the left foot. Then Dunn heads out. Um, he's able to. Turn it around. He he gets in a heel hook submission. Then Walter breaks free, chopped to the chest. He hits. He locks in a Boston Crab. Pete Dunn gets to the ropes. Then Pete Dunn starts working on the fingers. 
he starts like cracking the fingers of Walter. Walter breaks feet uh, free, big boot to the face. Pete Dunn here. He comes with punches, Insiguri kick, Dunn moon salt on Walter on the floor. <laughs> this is awesome too. I mean, it's just so many cool notes of like wows and little like little notes I have because it's so hard hitting. Walter goes for a suplex. Pete Dunn grabs his fingers and hits a sit out power bomb on a three hundred pounder. And, and Pete then he, Dunn, by the way, is not a large human being. No. Walter rolls out to the floor. Pete Dunn goes up top, double foot stomp on Walter. Then Walter hits a drop kick. Walter with a big German suplex power bomb into a cover for two. Big chops to the chest. Then big chop by uh, followed by a stomp from from Dunn. So loud when they're nailing each other. More hard slaps from Pete. Then chops from Walter. Big stomp to the face. Then Dunn is stepping on Walter's hands and he kicks him in the head. He goes up to the top. Walter punches his legs out and from under him. He tries to go for a German suplex off the top, but Dunn holds on and falls through. And then he hooks the arms of of Dunn, suplexes him off the top. Morrow calls it an avalanche sleeper suplex. It was brutal. Then Pete Dunn starts working on the fingers again. He's snapping them all over. He hits a German suplex, then a crucifix for two. They're going back and forth. And we get some more stomps to the face of Walter. This was Pete Dunn's moment. He's up on the top rope. And Walter hits a clothesline and nails him down. Dunn catches his arm. And he tries to, again, break the fingers. But Walter gets free. And then we get Walter with a big clothesline. This is towards the end here as Pete, he hits his bitter end. And that's nailed everybody. Pete Dunn's finisher was one of the more protected finishers at this time. And Walter kicks out. Walter gets up, nails a kick to the face. He goes up to the top rope and Pete goes up and he's trying to work on the fingers. Walter actually battles out of what is looking like a triangle choke that that Pete's trying to put on. He hits a power bomb from the top rope, just flings Pete across the ring. And then he gets up to the top rope and hits a huge splash to win the UK title. This thing went over 25 minutes, like 25 and a half. It was great, Andrew. It really did not feel that long either. It, it did not drag. No. Um, make no mistake, Volter is not a fast individual, but there is a sense of urgency and meaning in everything he does. When he calls himself the ring general, that's not hyperbole. This guy has a sense of ring psychology that is almost unmatched. There is a quote that Mauro Ronaldo has here that I thought was his best line of the night early in the match when they're trying to sell this to people that maybe weren't regular watchers of NXT UK. I can tell you I wasn't. I knew who Volter was. I knew who Pete Dunn was. But Mauro Ronaldo says Volter hits with the force of a natural catastrophe. Yep, that's the gimmick. Big dude that hits people and he keeps hitting you. And he keeps hitting you and he keeps hitting you with blows of increasing force until you wither up and die. Real simple. This match was different 
for a lot of people and maybe not necessarily what they're expecting. If you hear the words British strong style, this was it. And if you like this match, as we both did, I added it four and a half stars. I don't think you can go five with it, but I also think that if you go lower than four, it's a little bit misleading. But if you liked this match, there is a match from, I believe it was the takeover they did in December 2020 with Finn Balor and Pete Dunne that is just as good, maybe better. Go seek that out. That is British Strong Style to the letter. Pete Dunne is a tremendous worker who deserves far, 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 far more than he is getting. Maybe he always did have a ceiling because, look, if we're being charitable about it, he's 5'10", about 185. Yeah. I understand that he was never going to be And he's not much of a talker guy. either. That's no, the problem. But he more than held up his end of the bargain with one of my favorite tag teams slash one of the biggest catastrophes and casualties of the pandemic, the Broserweights yes. with Matt Riddle. Like, yeah. look at those promos. Those promos were fantastic. But he deserves so much better than he's getting. Volter is being put in a very high position now. I just don't understand why they had to change the name. And I understand it's a matter of taste and whatnot. I liked him better when he was the big fat guy hitting people than he is as the really slim, really lean guy. I just preferred this look. And for whatever that's worth, it just the new look Gunther doesn't strike me as as imposing as the old look Volter did. But you know what? He's getting paid handsomely. He's getting pushed. Good for him. Yeah, he's on national TV on, you know, that's that's getting to wrestle and being treated like a star. So I agree with you. I don't he he didn't seem like someone who needed many tweaks. He seemed like the package was fine, but they are going to want to WWEify it a little bit. And if that's all that it is, making him cut a few pounds and tweaking some of the visuals, I'm okay with it. Because for the most part, he still gets to be pretty close to Valter from what we saw here. So, as so long as- I get that to a point, but WWE has had a lot of success and made a lot of money with guys that didn't look like a million bucks, try to imagine having to tell Mick Foley he had to no, change his right. look. You're I right. mean, try to imagine telling Daniel Bryan to change his look. There's some guys that I don't think you touch, and I understand why they did that. I understand they're rewarding him handsomely for it. It's just a personal preference thing with yeah. me. Can under totally understand that. Really. Really good match the third match on the card Another absolute Banger as we Got a commercial for The Ronda Rousey Becky Lynch Charlotte Flair match at Wrestlemania got a Dazin uh, commercial also And then we got a shot of Edge And Beth Phoenix sitting at ringside You know that that Edge guy I know he's retired It looks like he can still go He looks a lot younger just three years ago And and some of it was because He was leaving the gray in his beard And his hair when he he came back On purpose and at this point I think he was doing some acting so I don't think it was was, Yeah, I I think he was coloring it more So it wasn't as, as gray but Yeah he definitely looked quite a bit younger than just Three years ago cool to see Edge and Beth Beth had a, a match at, uh, at Mania 
in, uh, in a tag team match, I believe, just a few days after this. So we then set up the women's fatal four way for the NXT Women's Championship. It was Kyrie Sane, Bianca Belair, Io Shirai, and NXT Women's Champion Shayna Baszler, who was booked in NXT like a million bucks. And this was a good match. It was really good. If you want to compare this to the rest of the show, okay, maybe it wasn't as fantastic as some of the others, but there was not much wrong with this match. It really, really wasn't. And if you're someone who doesn't like the multi-matches as much, that's that I can understand. But there, it wasn't like we had botched spots or bad work or slow you know, boring stuff throughout this match Really good We got Shayna and Bianca Tossing out Io and Kyrie early And then Bianca with the shoulder tackle Io double knees on Belair and Kyrie Gets back in the ring Then she hits a neck breaker So we're sort of getting the two-on-two action here The Sky Pirates Which were Kyrie and Io They were uh, double teaming, double drop kick Then there's a moment where they kind of Realize that the other two are are knocked out. Okay, we'll go at it just for a second. Then here comes Shayna and Bianca, and they get back in the mix. Shayna stomps on the elbow of Bianca, which looked brutal here. And we get Bianca and Shayna going at it for a little bit. Kyrie gets back in with a big elbow uh, off the top on Bianca. Then Bianca hits a, a goes for the drop kick. Kyrie avoids it. And Io hits a springboard dropkick on Bianca And Kyrie knocks down Shayna We get double knees by Io on Bianca And Bianca with a big fallaway slam showing her strength um, Shayna and Bianca go at it a little more here And then Io gets involved A big Tower of Doom spot out of the corner Double power bomb suplex uh, Superplex Everybody's down Io uh, tosses Kyrie over the top uh, on, a, on a big dive And then Io hits a moonsault Off the middle turnbuckle Then Bianca's back in the mix She hits a spear on Io And then she hits the Was this like the Beth Phoenix glam slam The chicken wing slam yep. on Kyrie uh, Bianca Just so impressive here Shayna with the knee to the face of Io Again all four women are down in the crowd Really getting into it here So the final Portion of this match Shayna pulls Kyrie out And Bianca and Io are going at it for a little bit Io throws uh, Bianca throws Io over the top And then Bianca Goes for a slam on Shayna But Shayna fights out and she locks in The Kirifuda clutch submission Didn't really look like she had it in uh, The greatest but Bianca picks her up Hits the KOD slam for two Because Io breaks it up Now we start getting a really Good closing sequence Then EO counters uh, Bianca's power move with an X-Factor Then a moonsault to Shayna EO goes up top She hits a big moonsault And she looks like she's about to win But then Kyrie breaks it up And she screws her friend out of the title here Then the friends start battling each other Kyrie and EO go at it Kyrie goes up top and hits that awesome insane elbow One of my favorite moves When she kicks her legs out And she just flies through the air And uh, Io ends up recovering Running the ropes uh, And she picks up Kyrie Kyrie is able to counter into a DDT though She goes up top Bianca starts 
using her hair, whipping her in the ribs. It's really getting good now in the final stages of this match. And Bianca puts Io and Kyrie on top of her shoulders, stacks them both, double KOD, crowds going nuts. Bianca looks like she's about to win this match, but Shayna Baszler kicks her in the face and knock and uh, locks in the Kirafuda clutch. Bianca tries the fight, but she has to tap out in over 15 and a half minutes. I thought this was a, another very, very good match. I don't have a whole lot of bad to say about it. It wasn't quite the peak of some of the others, which are almost all five star matches. If you wanted to put this thing at three and a half and above, I'm fine. Anywhere you want to go with it If you want to go from three and a half to four If you want to go in the three to four range That's fine I probably wouldn't go much above four But I will say This wasn't an easy spot for the ladies With the bangers that they had On this match, on this show to follow So this was what people may have been treating Like kind of a downer spot on the show But it it really was not That doesn't suit what this match was It was good, Andrew I had it at three and a half Now The NXT women's division at this time was in a weird place. The four horsewomen had all been called up. They were all doing fantastic things on the main roster. They passed the torch to Asuka. Asuka was so good in NXT. And that's another that you don't hear a lot about, how good a run she had in NXT as the women's champion. She was so good and so imposing They didn't bother taking the title off of her when she came up to the main roster. She just vacated it, left it in the ring. Now, that's a double-edged sword because you don't want to weaken Asuka as she's going up to the main roster, but you got to build somebody. Shayna Baszler was there, and she was a very imposing, badass heel with legitimate MMA credentials. She wrestled a couple of very good matches with Kyrie Sane, another series that doesn't really get talked about all that much, but it's very, very, very good. But this was a weird transitional spot because Shayna Baszler is a very good worker that can have very good matches with pretty much anybody. Yep. Is she the kind of worker that maybe the four horsewomen and Asuka were? Probably not. No, no, she's not. And she wasn't supposed to be. She's her... Her style is a, is a little different, right? Her style yep. isn't going to lead to as many five-star matches. No, and I feel terrible for her because she got booked as a legitimate killer in NXT. She got called up. She got booked as a killer for about five minutes. She had an Elimination Chamber match where she looked like the female version of Goldberg squashing people left, right, and center. And then they just sort of forgot about her. We thought she was going to win the Rumble one year. She was favored, I think. Yep. And that's unfortunate because she is talented. She does a lot of really cool stuff out of the ring as well. She's part of the Up, Up, Down, Down crew that does a lot of video game stuff. She had a really cool vignette where in storyline, the Up, Up, Down, Down title, which was held by Mia Yim, was behind a door that was forbidden that Xavier Woods couldn't get to. She runs in with the title and has this hilarious backstory, and that sets up the tournament. If you haven't seen that, go see it. It's pretty cool. But the story here, it's not Shayna, and it's not even Kyrie Sane and Io Shirai. Bianca Belair 
who is green here. Not green as grass, but she's green. She's still learning. She'd been part of NXT TV for less than two years. And this was the part of NXT history where the shows were an hour. The four horsewomen were there. Asuka was there. Shayna Baszler was there. She didn't get a lot of TV time until not long before that. She looks like the and also featuring person in this match at first glance. Then you see the promo video for this match where she says that undefeated is a state of mind. She looks like an all cap star. And in this match, she had the spots where you're like, yep, that's who's going to be carrying this division in a couple of years. And what do you know? That's what she's doing. She had one of the best women's matches in WWE history with Becky Lynch at WrestleMania earlier this year. She is another that just had that presence right just, away. Yep. And for all the the critiques that we will rightfully give WWE much of the time, they've hit really well with her. And, yep, that's and, for sure. And you know what? It was gonna. It was a little. People were a little worried when Becky Lynch returned and beat her in 15 seconds. Oh, it wasn't a little worried. Right? There was panic. There was major panic, but you, because WWE doesn't have a great track record with people telling the long-term stories. But I think like you're saying, we could tell from the beginning, Bianca was someone that, that they felt different about. They always liked, even though she didn't reach the peak in NXT, from the moment she got up there, she was always treated and given good time vignettes. They showed her strength and they've treated her really, really well. Uh, they gave her a nice long-term story. She got her win back against Becky and she gets a chance to be showcased all the time. I think they've done, you know, they twice now she's had huge mania matches where, like you said, one of the best ever in WWE history for the women and Last year, she was the main event against Sasha Banks, an incredible historical mark, not only two females main eventing, two females of of color, two females that were not two white Barbie-looking girls that we were would kind of expect. Incredible stuff over the last yeah. couple of years that she's that she's been through. That's for sure. And you can pinpoint a couple moments where you knew she was going to be a big deal. This is one of them. She had a promo with Charlotte and Rhea Ripley when Charlotte won the Women's Rumble and decided to go down to NXT to challenge for that belt because of reasons passing understanding. She came out, and I remember none of the rest of this storyline, but I remember Bianca Belair grabbing the microphone, getting right in Charlotte's face and saying, you don't even go here. Yes. So good. And yes. there have been things with her where you knew she was going to be a star. I'm happy that she's been able to be that star and she's going to make them a lot of money moving forward. Now, in this match, she also has one of my favorite spots in the match. She blows a mocking kiss to Kyrie Sane. Well, Kyrie Sane catches the kiss in the air, winds up, turns to Io Shirai and throws what looks like a hanging curveball that Io Shirai hits. So great. I laughed hard. And you can tell they had perfected that spot at like house shows and stuff. And that was great. I loved that. The only knock 
that there is on this match. And it's not even so much a knock. It's just a little formulaic for me. Yeah. There was a a lot of two women fight, two women take a breather. Absolutely. And then you cycle them in and out. Now they made it work and it's a good match. Again, I have this at three and a half stars. Everyone has moments where they look fantastic. Shayna winds up escaping by the skin of her teeth. It's a good match. You look at where everybody has gone. Kyrie Sane gets hurt by Nia Jax. There's no other way to put it. She yeah. got hurt. She got hurt bad. She wound up being so disillusioned by that. She wound up being a WWE ambassador in Japan for the last year, year and a half of her contract. She is back in the ring wrestling for stardom overseas in Japan and is still doing really good stuff. There are rumblings that Io Shirai might be gone when her contract comes up later this year. I have always been a fan of hers. I think she's a ton of fun to watch, has one of the best moonsaults in the business for my money. Shayna is just sort of there, but Bianca is an absolute star. And if you're going to go, I don't want to say one for four because Kyrie Sane had her moments. Io Shirai's had her moments. Shayna has had her moments, but if one of them is a gigantic star in this match, you can argue that developmental has done their job. Yeah, I agree. I kind of look at it like that too. If in each of these matches or in each group of three or four, you have one or two hits, that's probably a pretty good batting average for a, for a show like this. And for each kind of era, as we get set for the main event, first, we had a commercial that promoted Anytime they do babyface Miz stuff, I love the Miz. I love Especially the Miz. Especially with Shane. It oh my God, this work. was bad. You, the Miz cannot be a babyface. I mean, there are very few specific instances where maybe at one moment he could, but it's not going to last. It never should last. And this this poor thing just didn't work. Um, they then promoted the Hall of Fame on Saturday night, and we saw the NXT Championship. It was vacant. Ciampa had to relinquish it due to injury. It was This was supposed to be Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano in the main event. Instead, we get Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole for the NXT title. Two out of three falls. Really good video package to set this thing up. We see both men, uh, both of these guys training. Johnny Gargano, Adam Cole. Um, Johnny has, when he comes out, you know how they talk about how Lex Luger has the, uh, what, what would they call it? Jobber like, face Jobber face when he knows that he's about to lose Johnny's got the opposite of that When he comes out He's got the I'm gonna win the title Look on my face Like he's, <laughs> he's, This poor guy is glowing You know he's so happy He knows this is gonna be a huge night for him And I, it's a baby face Of course he's supposed to look like that But just in knowing that he's gonna win And seeing the look that he has It's just it's awesome For and, sure Now before we start this match please. Please. We should probably revisit the conversation that we had earlier on in the show. Let's do about it. Some of the criticism that has been levied upon one Adam Cole Bebe. Now, to me, this proves there is a certain portion of the wrestling audience you are never going to satisfy. Okay. No. Now, I think some of the criticism of the internet wrestling community is overblown. There's a lot of really good, smart, passionate people, and it's a couple of bad apples that ruin the entire bunch, right? Well, so the same people 
that for years would bash Vince McMahon and bash the WWE and say, top guys now are all looking, they can't work. And they'd cite people like Chris Masters, like Ryback, like the great Kali, just all look and no actual substance behind them. Here's Adam Cole, fantastic worker, great talker, the kind of guy who is so good at his job that even though, by all accounts, he is one of the nicest people in the history of professional wrestling, you want to see him get his head kicked in the moment he steps out on top of the aisle to come down to the ring. He's That's a great character. It's he a is. He's a great performer. It's real heel heat. It's not go away heat. Yes. And then you get him and you get a guy that isn't six foot six, 260 pounds. Looks like he just drank a huge thing of Ico Pro before he came down to the ring. And you get people on Twitter going, he looks horrible. He looks like a bum. Look, this is a guy that there are people that love Adam Cole that compare him to Shawn Michaels. I can't go that far, but he's damn good at what he does. He throws himself into his art to the point where he had that stretch in NXT where every match he had was at least a half hour, maybe 45 minutes. And some of those probably were a little bit long, but at the same time, some of the things he does in the ring that make you care, some of the things that he does on the microphone to draw interest is storylines. They're so freaking good. And that guy gets so much crap that he does not deserve. And I don't know where it's coming from or why it has all of a sudden become the cause du jour for obnoxious wrestling fans. But if you're out there and you're hearing this, just stop it. I know you sound it's, absolutely ridiculous it's silly. because, okay, let me, let me Booger T made a comment that I think it was a valid opinion or take that Booker could have as someone who's been in the ring before Booker said he didn't think Adam Cole looked like he was in as good of shape right now as he was when he was in NXT and thought that maybe it's because they sort of, it's like a coach that makes you do a little bit more, right? That's how WWE is. They get on you a little bit more. AEW seems like you get more freedom to cut your own promos, to kind of talk in your own voice, to work out and sort of have your matches laid out more of how you want to do it. Doesn't feel like Tony Khan's telling people to tweak their styles or anything like that. But I think if you wanted to say and compare that, maybe he didn't look like he was in his great of shape. That is something that is okay to say, but that does not take away or that does not change the fact that he is a fantastic worker. Awesome on the mic. And everything else he's he does is really, really good. Like the, you can say one thing that that's critical without acting like you hate Adam Cole or that Adam Cole should be buried. And a lot of people can't do that anymore. They can't like w- w- as soon as you say one negative thing, all of a sudden it means you hate him or you have to go all the way. Like, I love Adam Cole. I don't know if that's what Booker said is completely wrong. I think there were some pictures out there you could see, and maybe we're finding out that. Adam Cole has been suffering from some injuries where maybe he couldn't be training quite as much as he would like, right? Maybe he kind of had to pick and choose spots and wrestle matches here. And now he's 
got unfortunately knock on wood that he's okay some serious concussion issues yeah like that was that's scary uh, that, that was pretty horrifying at forbidden door i hope he's all right if you want to take a glimpse at the person that adam cole is i cannot recommend this enough up up down down has made these a little bit hard to find but go to the up up down down youtube channel go into their playlists they have every game of uno featuring adam cole xavier woods Tyler Breeze and the artist formerly known as Cesaro, who is now Claudio Castagnoli. It is so much fun and you get an entire new respect for all four guys as human beings. When you see them do stuff like that, it's really cool. And you're going to have a very tough time booing Adam Cole for any reason after that. But going back to this match, whew, look, the first two falls, I'm like, okay, this is really good. I'm really enjoying this. They kick into the third fall, and I'm going, oh, my God, what the hell is this? This is amazing stuff. So they act like Adam Cole is going to be out there on his own. He he comes out with Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong, and Bobby Fish, but then they go to the back, and he comes out. And like always, the crowd with the Adam Cole, baby! And... The crowd was really into Adam Cole throughout a lot of this. Throughout NXT, they were very into the Undisputed Era and Adam Cole. He always got very good receptions, and he still to this day gets great receptions. There's a reason why anywhere Adam Cole goes, he's always he always rises towards the top because the dude is extremely talented. And like Andrew was saying, it's not as if he's someone who comes in and he was born on third base. He's actually, it's the opposite. This guy has to work for everything because he's at a disadvantage with his size. So he's no doubt a major talent. And you find that out in this match for sure. It took three minutes after the bell for them to even lock up. They were just soaking the moment in. Johnny was relishing in it. And we get some uh, back and forth, Matt wrestling, little headlocks here and there, shoulder tackle from Cole. Gargano avoids a kick. We're just... Going back and forth here Each guy taking a little bit of control Then Johnny head scissors takedown Big clothesline drop kick between the ropes Knocks it knocks Cole down Cole hits a jumping kick To the face knee lifts Side headlock Johnny gets up uh, Cole hits a back elbow Johnny at one point This was so cool So there's an over the head belly to belly suplex And then roll through There's a spot where Um Johnny is on the middle ropes and he's standing there for a second. And Cole is like waiting, perfectly waiting to counter whatever Johnny does. And Johnny does this little like pump fake, like a basketball player would do. And it just throws Cole off slightly. And then Johnny comes off the middle ropes. It was just, it was awesome. It was this little like head fake. And it just felt like real. It felt like something you would do in a fight. Or in an actual match where you're trying to to fight someone to get the advantage on them, Cole goes. Uh, Cole's back in charge. He hits a backstabber, and uh, we get some roll ups back and forth. Then a, a jumping insegiri to the back of the head. They each go for some kicks back and forth, and then Cole ends up hitting the last shot to the back of the head. And I think this one was about 14 minutes, Andrew, where we had the uh, the first fall. So good start, but nothing. Incredibly overwhelmed Just good good work There was nothing bad here Awesome stuff from these two guys But it was in the second fall And as you mentioned 
the third fall where we really started to raise the stakes. Yeah, for sure. This was the first fall was them doing the feeling out process, realizing, okay, these guys are going to be out there for 40 minutes. We're going to need to make sure they pace themselves. And that's what happened. Like if it was just a normal match in the first fall, it's 14 minutes. It's probably about a three and a half star match. It's really good stuff. It serves as the foundation of everything moving forward, though. There were some great sequences there. There was the one that ended with the Gargano arm drag. I really enjoyed that. Um, The thing that I loved, though, was they started out the second fall, and Cole starts out with that sense of urgency. He hits the last shot again, and the announcers play this up. That had been a very protected finish in NXT. Yes. That gets two, and Morrow says... That's the first time anybody's kicked out of that. And if you're a Johnny Gargano fan, that's when you strap in and say, okay, this is going to get good. So they're on the apron and he hits this awesome spear. Johnny does to Adam Cole. It's a quick, intense little spear. And then Cole's knocked down on the apron. Johnny hits a senton on the apron, uh, off the apron to Cole on the floor. They go back in the ring. Cole with the Ushiguroshi, fireman's carry knee to the back of the uh, head for two. He did this a couple times. Cole goes to the turnbuckle. He looks like he's about to hit a power bomb, but Johnny blocks it. Then an avalanche air raid crash slam for two. Moro was just loving calling some of these things. And they're on the apron again. Johnny kicks uh, Cole in the face. Slingshot DDT on the side of the ring apron. And... Then this spot was a little weird, but Johnny gets up at seven. He goes back in the ring to break the count. He kept doing this. He didn't want to win any of the falls by count out in a two out of three falls match. Who cares, man? And <laughs> uh, he goes back in the ring. He locks on the Gargano escape. And the smart thing to do, Andrew, it's a two out of three falls match. Cole's already got one fall. This doesn't really matter. When in the grand scheme of things, he just needs to win one more time. You don't want to sit in this thing and with. Stand a bunch of pain and possible injury So Cole taps out instantly Very quickly Yeah, that's smart Again, it's stuff you would actively expect Little things person Little to do things, you know In a fight like that Now, the one, there is one negative with this match That I think is a five-star match And it's Mauro Ronaldo And something he said And I know I'm reading too much into this So you're going to roll your eyes real hard when I say this After the second fall, it gets tied 1-1. Morrow talks about this being something Johnny Gargano has wanted since he was eight years old. I agree with you. I think think about this a lot when they say that. He's wanted the NXT title since then? It didn't exist! I know. What do you mean? Thank you! Thank you! I'm not crazy for thinking this! And they do this a lot in NXT or like AEW, right? When they say... Oh, he's wanted this since he was a kid. He's wanted to win it. When you say, you can say something like a moment. He's wanted to be in the big, you know, he's wanted to be in the main event of a wrestling show, or this is like a dream performance on a big stage. That something is fine, but be specific about it. Don't tell me they've wanted this forever. This NXT championship has been around for what, five years? Yep. At this it's, point, uh, yeah, it was uh, the main event of WrestleMania. Thirteen, sure. I think, was when Seth Rollins won it. So it was you six, know, I think. If yeah. you would have said he wanted to be on the WrestleMania card, he wanted to have a match at WrestleMania, win the main event of WrestleMania, win the Royal Rumble, a lot of things you could say. But 
when you're in NXT, it's a little bit different. You know, I, 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 Andrew, I'm not yeah. going to argue with you at all on that one. I agree. And it does make it, what it does is it makes you stop and like think about something that you shouldn't be thinking about instead of right. just watching the match, which is awesome. Yeah. Now, again, it is a five star match. There is a very prominent person, and we're going to talk about this, that thinks it is better than a five star match. But that's one of those where you're like, huh? And yeah. you shouldn't have those huh moments in a match like this. No. Mauro Ronaldo had some really good moments on this show. He had a couple of misses. He called Alistair Black Sir Kicks a lot. That was a miss. There yeah. were a couple other lines. Like he tried to work in as many references to rap songs as he could in the first 10 minutes. Like I honestly think he was trying to win a bet or something to that effect. <laughs> you got to go back and listen. He talks about just all these random name drops that are in no way organic. Moro, you're awesome when you're yourself. Just be yourself. Okay, let's get to the final the final fall here. So we've got, uh, we actually had Kayla announce that this is the third and, and deciding fall. Both men stare at each other for a moment. Johnny's busted open above his right eye. So we got the ref putting on some gloves to try to uh, clean it up. And these two guys just start throwing some haymakers right off the bat. Bicycle kick, clothesline, kick to the head. Ushigoroshi again. Fans doing the dueling chants. Adam Cole, Johnny Wrestling. Gargano picks up Cole and tosses him into the turnbuckle. And I give Percy a major shout here. This this is just like the WCW, Kevin Nash, Rey Mysterio, lawn dart. He tossed him <laughs> like a lawn dart, which is great. And then we get the full Nelson slam for two. Again, they're just back and forth. Hits to the head, kicks to the head, super kick. Both guys super kick each other. And Moro's just talking about how they're so closely matched. And we get Adam Cole with a big super kick to the back of the head. Then a straight jacket German suplex where you hold on to the arms. Then a backdrop driver suplex. Cole is really pulling out everything now. Gargano avoids this. Kicks to the face. Reverse Hurricane Rana. Another big super kick. Uh, Cole gets a hold of Johnny. Wheelbarrow slam. I'm not joking. This was, I was like, how can he keep going? When he hit this slam, he threw the back of Johnny's neck into the ring apron in like the bottom part of the ring. Where the apron and the and the outside of the ring meet. And I watched it back a few times. At, at first, I thought he hit him straight in the head. He landed more towards the back part of his neck. So that's not like it's a lot better. But it, the head, I was like, how does he even get up? And Moro was, was talking a few different points about how Gargano looked like he was glazed. This was a brutal spot. And uh, Gargano somehow gets a DDT. Off the apron uh, Suicide dive Cole's back in the ring Super kick Cole off the apron Springboard Canadian destroyer That's his Panama sunrise for a two count Johnny kicks out That People thought that was it No folks there's still a little more to go here Big NXT chance Then Cole starts talking trash Really acting like a heel Telling Johnny that he's a failure and they get up on the uh, Spanish announce table. The Adam Cole picks up Johnny, hooks the arms, and he hits Champa's fairy tale ending. Johnny bounces off of this table 
that does not break And it is brutal It is a brutal spot They head back in the ring And the referee starts to count Or Cole goes back in the ring So the ref starts to count Gargano does not look like he's going to get there He struggles to get back to his feet He gets in the ring before the 10 count Cole is hitting what looks like A just defenseless Johnny Gargano With super kick to the face And only two And now Adam Cole's facial expressions Are incredible He cannot believe it He doesn't know what else to do He goes for another super kick But Johnny hits one himself And Cole um, they're, They're going back and forth Johnny's got the Gargano escape in Here comes Roderick Strong On the apron So Johnny gets lets it go to go take care of Roderick The referee goes to to dis, you know, get distracted by what Roderick to tell him to leave And then from behind Kyle O'Reilly Gouges his eyes The heels were so perfect in this spot Andrew it didn't really feel For a moment I was like oh, Is it going to be too overbooked But it just felt like they each had their moment And Johnny denied them As they tried It was the energy of Johnny Gargano On this night As uh, Johnny hits a back body drop Cole goes over the top He lands on top of all three of the Undisputed Era And then Johnny goes after Strong He goes after Fish Tornado DDT to O'Reilly It's like a video game spot It it, it reminds me of like You know in Super Mario When you get the, when you get the star That's so good Like this is what Johnny is doing here Man he's just And Johnny is a video game guy I think he would appreciate that uh, That reference He was all over the place man This was It's It makes me smile Just talking about it Thinking about it Not even watching it That's how good it was And He gets back in the ring And then As he's been distracted Adam Cole nails him With super kick, super kick Then a last shot to the back of the head It feels like this is it Johnny got screwed again, right? I can't believe it One, two, no! He kicks out again How does he keep kicking out? Crowd going nuts NXT, NXT Moro has Moro is just going ballistic here And Johnny keeps battling back Cole goes for the last shot again but this time Johnny's ready for it He moves and he locks in The Gargano escape Cole gets to the ropes but Johnny Rolls him back to the middle of the ring And Cole tries Tries to hold on But he has to tap out This thing goes 38 and a half minutes It is You may like other matches Individually better You may like We all have our personal tastes For opinion, personal wrestlers Styles This is as good of a match as you'll see Period Like you won't find many matches better than this Maybe ones that you like more But it's hard to find matches That are better worked in ring They've got some fun stuff Outside There's a story that's been told for a while And that's why this maybe Feels a little bit bigger Than other really really good matches Like we may have seen at Forbidden Door from AEW Because Johnny Gargano was denied this title for so long And he finally got it He didn't get to beat Champa for it But he still had the moment with Champa afterwards So this was this was in the story And whew, Andrew This was I think the most I've ever recapped Like move sets throughout the matches That we've talked about on a show 
because I wanted to because they were so good and unique and just incredible. Yeah, the thing that gets me in this match, though, and honestly, this is why this podcast works, because the three of us, you, me, Darren, all look at different things within the course of the match. What got me over the hump was everything happens with the Undisputed Era. The ref gets bumped. Fish and O'Reilly hit the high-low. Cole covers. We've seen this time and time again with these guys. This is how Adam Cole always had retained his title. Gargano kicks out. Adam Cole looks like he's about to cry. How perfect is that? Like, this is the smarmy heel. That's so that funny. I have do the smarmy that exact, thing. That exact note right here. Johnny kicks out. Cole looks like he is going to cry. Like, it is, how perfect is that? It's a yeah. heel getting his comeuppance. And who can't relate to that? Who can't be moved? By seeing the smarmy heel get caught up in everything he's been trying to do by a guy that just won't quit. Now, the one criticism that I can see people having about this match is Gargano overcame absolutely everything. Yeah. And da -da -da. Yeah. Now, listen, if you're watching this match in a vacuum, I get that. This is one of those things where you need to watch NXT takeovers from prior years to just see everything he had had to overcome in it order said, to get to this point. To start the match, this was, I believe, his 12th NXT TakeOver, which was the most at that time. Right. And so, he'd never yeah. been the, the main champion. Right, for sure. And with him, the money was in the chase. Yep. And he gets there. It's a fantastic moment. It is a five-star match for me. Now, we yep. mentioned this. There are occasions where... Uncle Dave, our our friend and the the trendsetter for everybody that does what we do, will break his five star scale. Dave Meltzer rated this match five and a half stars. It is the first and I believe the only match under the WWE banner to break the five star scale. Not an easy guy to impress. Not a guy that is easily impressed by WWE in the past several years. That's how good this match was. If you have not seen it, carve out 45 minutes, find it on Peacock, and watch it. It is one of the greatest matches on the WWE Network. Yep. This one Folks, of the Folks, this greatest isn't hyperbole. Shows. We're, we're no. telling you, there. this, like, we've, we've sat here and recapped Coming, going to be a hundred shows coming up in not that long. Wow, and we're going to be eligible for syndication and stuff. I was, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this is—I I did forget because you're sort of—it's—it's it's a little different when you you're in the moment than when we do our our like deep dive recaps, right? Because when you're watching a show and it's really really good, but you're kind of watching it live. I don't, I'm not taking as many notes and stuff, right? Like I am here and, and really focusing on every single thing. And wow, this, this show just knocked me on my ass. It honestly did. It like, it's so it was good. A cool it's surprise so good. Cause I wasn't really looking forward to rewatching this as much as I should have been. And it was so cool to sneak up on me like that. I agree. This thing was five stars. These guys for the last, like the like the first fall, maybe there was a couple minutes of it where they sort of bided their time. I'm not going to say we're at anything that was remotely a slow pace, but just sort of were pacing themselves for what was going to be inevitably just 
frenetic pace for the final 15 minutes or so of this thing. It was just so, so good, Andrew. And then we have the the post-match celebration where Johnny's wife, Candice, comes in to give him a big hug. Johnny celebrates with the NXT title. He goes and celebrates with fans at ringside. His dad's in the crowd, his buddies, his family and friends. And as they head to the entrance, he's standing there and Ciampa walks out. And as Johnny looks at the crowd, he says, he's behind me, isn't he? It was like this comedy movie, tro- you know, thing. And it really worked just when you know what these two had been through and and how serious the injury that Ciampa was dealing with was. And a lot of us never were never sure if we were going to see Ciampa back in a wrestling ring again. So who better to pass the torch to than your friend? And they got to share this moment. I'm sure Ciampa would have rather it been him in the ring passing the torch to Gargano. But Adam Cole, he did his part. And this was great, a great moment. And an NXT show that went about three hours and 15 minutes And it it did not feel long It didn't feel like it dragged at any point There was no down part of the show There isn't There's stuff that you just like a little bit better Based on your preference But there's nothing that you want to skip There's nothing that you feel like Yeah, if we cut a little bit out of that It could be a tight two-hour show It's, it's, It's just a really, really good wrestling show Awesome job, Andrew Champagne Thank you very much. Uh, This was a show that instantly we knew was great. It's aged really well. From a WWE fan's perspective, it's really weird seeing the way things have changed with some of these guys over three years. And I'm going to pose this question to you. Understanding that Johnny Gargano is a new dad, he's doing everything that he is you know, doing with Candace and whatnot, and, and the little one, and that's absolutely fantastic, and he deserves every bit of time off he wants. The problem is, the new NXT never seemed like a fit for him. If he comes back in Raw or SmackDown, it doesn't feel natural. It's going to be weird seeing where he goes because wherever he goes, he's going to be incredibly valuable. He's going to put on these amazing matches. And look, we have talked a lot about guys whose NXT runs you forget. Go watch Gargano's matches with Andrade, with Champa, with Adam Cole, with Kushida. The guy did not have a bad match. No, it didn't exist. That is how good. Johnny Gargano was for a very, very long time. And also, look up the stuff he did with The Way when Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis started being a couple. He was funny. Yes, he showed a new dimension to himself, and that wound up working in storyline when it had no right to. And you know what? If you look at that, it's the most absurd thing in the world. You get that. You get Austin Theory being the dumb kid. He he was one of the reasons why. He might be one of the reasons why Austin Theory is where he is right now because he sort of took him under his wing and had some fun. And they showed Johnny showed a different side of him. You're right. He has some personality. He's got some acting chops. He's he's willing to make fun of himself. He could fit. You know if. I could see him being either a very good tag wrestler. I could see him having like a Chad Gable role on Raw or SmackDown as someone who they actually pro- treat a little bit better than we think. It took Gable a while to get there, but right now I think he's in a pretty good spot. He he will have moments where he's in good high 
leverage high profile matches for the tag title. He gets to be on a lot and he's shown he's got a good personality. And I think we saw that from Gargano, but I don't see because I don't love immediately slotting him into AEW. I don't know Me if either he, because he look a, with AEW. One of the criticisms I have of people that bash the signings they've made is look, who if you wouldn't sign them. Av- yeah. If Keith Lee's available, you go you're going to sign him. If, if Tony Claudio Storm's available, you're going to sign available, them. You get him. Now, a couple of the signings we can bash. The Hardys were totally unnecessary, and you get guys like that that didn't quite fit. But if they sign Gargano, will I be surprised? No. But what would they have him do that would allow him to stand out? And look, I, I, I like the Gable comparison. I would hope that WWE learned something because... For about two years, there was a very vocal group of people going, what are they doing with Chad Gable? They have his shorty on their hands. Push him. Push him. Yeah, And they finally found a spot for him. It took a little while, though. And it's it's one of those things where I don't think there's a wrong answer. Because with how good Johnny Gargano is, wherever he goes, he's going to smash it. Okay? That's just what he is and that's who he is as a worker. It's how far can he go with what he's insanely good at? Yep. This version of NXT was tailor made for Johnny wrestling. This was his moment. And really, if you haven't seen this match and if you haven't seen this show, go fire it up. You're not going to regret it. Andrew, as we turn the page to next week, I'm going to pick a show that I think you'll enjoy because we're going to head back to WCW. Okay. And it was still when it was under the NWA banner. All right. We are going to go to 1990 for the Great American Bash. So this is in the main event Sting beating Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Cool. On the undercard, we are going to get to talk about so many cool characters. The and Iron some- Sheik was on this show. Yes. Some of these matches aren't fantastic, but we're going to get to talk about Pillman, Buddy Landell, Mike Rotunda, the Iron Sheik, Furnace, Dutch Mantel, Harley Race, Tommy Rich, the Midnight Express. We've got uh, Midnight Express against the Southern Boys here. We've got Vader, Tom Zink, Steiner Brothers, and the Freebirds. We get P.S. Michael Hayes at the very tail end of his career. We get to talk about El Gigante oh! in a six-man tag with El Gigante, Junkyard Dog, and Paul Orndorff. I don't think we've done any WCW or NWA where we saw Giant Gonzalez, but we get to talk about that. There, And we also get to talk about this guy who was wrestling against Lex Luger. Mark His something. name was Mark. Yeah. Um, this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'll tell you this. Some of these matches might be an undertaking. Oh, yeah. They're I'm not going to be great. To this. Me too. Yeah. I don't know if the the quality from top to bottom may not be fantastic, but it's it's going to be You fun. know sold the joke. I'm done. Right? <laughs> yeah. The undertaking. Ha ha ha. I did. I, I was because I was, Mark Callis was Undertaker. And I did. Ha, ha, ha. It, was, it wasn't a no-sell as much of a, it just went right over my head as, uh, <laughs> as I was kind of excited as I just was deciding between two, uh, two shows. And this one, 
I feel like there are so many cool characters that we'll really have a lot of fun with. Doom against the Rock and Roll Express in a tag team title match. And then in the main event, Sting against Ric Flair. We'll head back to WCW when it was under the NWA banner for the Great American Bash 1990 on the next Old Wrestling Rewatch. Andrew, buddy, this was a lot of fun. We always miss when DZ's not around, but we had a really cool show to be able to uh, sink our teeth into here. So thanks again for picking a great one, and I look forward to uh, to diving back. I wanted to reward you with a show that I think you like. I know you sort of like WCW and in the uh, NWA era, so I felt like we'd have some fun talking about some of these uh, some of these fellas that we don't get the ch- uh, the chance to talk about quite as much. We're going to have a lot of fun here, and there are some very fun matches on this show. One of the writers that I read a lot, a guy named Scott Keith, gave the Midnight Express and Southern Boys match five stars. Awesome. not an easy guy to impress. There's a couple of fun things of the rest of this show. I mean, you get the Rock and Roll Express, and seeing Ricky Morton get his ass kicked is always fun. You get Sting and Flair. This is fun stuff. There's a lot of things we're going to really enjoy Cornette, Paulie dangerously yeah. Are on the show like, Some of it is not good Some of it is actively bad But it's going to be entertaining And that's what we look for on these shows We don't necessarily need shows Like TakeOver New York From 2019 no. though it helps Just as long as we have some fun watching And reliving this stuff And there's some fun stuff on this show That I'm looking forward to going to watch I got to tell you this is uh, these next week, 10 days or so from when we're recording this. It's a big one. Pleasanton ends. And there's this little racetrack in upstate New York that begins. Um, I have to ask, have you seen the new building they've constructed at Saratoga? The pictures of that? I saw I looked. I saw it. you were not too happy about it. No, it, do, it just well, it I am not happy it at all whatsoever. It doesn't Gino. really fit in there. It it, do, it doesn't really look like it fits. So I'm very gonna make well. one point and then I'm gonna Please. shut up and we can go home. Go ahead. Doesn't it seem like every change tracks make in the backyard areas are changes nobody has ever asked for? Yeah. It's you're hundred percent right. Who where's the demand for this coming? We well, it's another... coming from people that have a lot of money. Shout out to, and this is hysterical, but shout out to at Slappy White on Twitter who pointed out the cost of the second floor paddock suites overlooking the Saddley enclosure at Saratoga. On off days, Gino, the suite starts at $4,600. It goes I mean, up to $10,800. Like... My God, who, who are you? Who are you doing this for? Right. And and why do you like you? You price people, your true customers out. And it's it's a bummer. It's, it's a and, bummer. And I hate ending on a bad note. But no, look, but it's Saratoga's what's coming up is coming up. I'm excited. I am the reigning, defending, undisputed handicapping champion of all media at Saratoga. If you're out there listening and you don't like it, beat me. Stick it. Tough stuff. You got to. Beat him if you want to shut him up, because otherwise you won't shut him up. If (laughs) you do it, as anybody who has ever beaten me can attest, I will be first in line to shake your hand, say good game, and mean it. 
That oh, is yeah, what you competitors don't... do. But there were things that were said on social media after the meet last year that I was not fond of, that I have remembered. And there are certain things that I have taken personally, Gino. And you know this because we approach some things with an oddly similar mindset and mentality. If you're out there, you want to try it, by all means, go ahead, have some fun. Let's pick some winners and we'll see where we stand come Labor Day. But my goodness. Yeah. Can you tell I'm a little bit excited and worked up? I can't wait to talk some Saratoga with you in the coming weeks. We'll have Andrew on to help us handicap some Saratoga cards as he'll be looking at those races each race each day for Saratoga. Make sure to give Andrew a follow on social media at Andrew Champagne. And uh, you want to check out AndrewChampagne.com. What uh, what other kind of stuff do you have coming up with Katina Media right now, Andrew? Oh, there's a lot of really cool stuff. I'm chasing a couple of things for California with the sports betting initiatives. Funny story. I realized last week that my prior full-time job was with a nonprofit organization in the homeless space and FanDuel and DraftKings bill. They have carved out money and revenue to help attack the homeless crisis here in California. Um, I'm doing a story that dives into what some organizations in the space feel about that. I've been talking with a lot of people at the California Authority of Racing Fairs as well, working on a story there as to their approach to sports betting, as to if that's going to pass this year or not. I don't know, but those wheels are in motion. If you're in horse racing, take note. It's not if, it's when. If not this year, it's coming soon. You better be able to address this problem before it closes your doors. Andrew, buddy, thank you so much for your time. This was a fun one. Love diving into this show. One of the best shows we will ever get the chance to talk about. It was NXT from just a few years ago, back in 2019, NXT TakeOver New York. Up next, we're going to head to 1990 for the Great American Bash. A lot of fun, a lot of familiar characters we'll get to see uh, in some of the final stages of their career. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. What a good show. Um, so if you heard sort of the towards the end, sometimes I'll have these shows recorded like a week or so before. So if you hear us talking about some stuff that already happened, that's why. So big thanks to Andrew for helping out. We've got another uh, edition of the Old Wrestling Rewatch coming up very, very soon. Up next, we dive in. To Miss Marvel episode 6 with Tim Kelly We've got the first 5 already taken care of for you. Now we finish up We finish up with episode 6 And we talk all about the series overall Tim Kelly on the Miss Marvel episode 6 deep dive We finish up Miss Marvel with episode 6 No Normal Season 1 of possibly a, a season 2 uh, on the works But season 1 is in the books Tim Kelly joins me TK, Kamala is a mutant. Let's just get right into yeah. it. <laughs> that was the big revelation of this of this episode, and it's a, a huge retcon from the comics, uh, but but a welcome one, I'd say. I agree. So where we were from, you know, a couple weeks ago when we last talked, how did you think they wrapped it all up? What did you think of the the part six of season one? Mm. Well, you know. I had been a little bit mixed on the, on this series, especially towards uh, the middle end of it. Uh, but I really thought they pulled things together for this last episode. They brought in a lot of the elements that we all fell in love with at the beginning, and they it was almost like they knew. Up. It was yeah. like they knew that, that that coming back to the end, we'd be okay with it. It just there was yeah, there was a part in the middle towards the middle to the end that were 
it just felt a little bit like it didn't really know what the show was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was rushed. I think I'm having an issue. I'm coming up against uh, an issue with the, the the way the MCU is kind of delivering their content right now. I think these these TV shows are just a little bit too short to be good shows and too yeah. long to be good movies. Uh, yeah. So I feel like they're the runtime uh, and just the, the layout, the structure of it all is working uh, uh, not so much in their favor. I feel like they're having to pad things out in places and then other places they're having to rush and it's creating a little bit of an uneven product. That said, I thought this was a really strong series. If it skewed uh, a little bit younger, I had to uh, you know, swallow a few boulders of salt you know while while watching even this episode which i really liked uh there's some very silly things in it i thought some of the stuff with damage control especially towards the end where it kind of devolved into like this weird like uh, uh, soldiers lining up and fire cease fire like uh, something about that seemed very strange to me and like a little bit cartoonish but um i I i'll also say that the school stuff felt a little bit off coming right off the heels of like you Uvalde and all these school shootings and stuff yeah. and seeing like non-lethal projectiles and cops running in through the school and doing this home alone stuff. That was a little bit silly, but again, I could suspend my disbelief and belief and just have fun with it. Uh, and think about it. this is, this was a little bit more of a, of a kid show. And r- rushed was a good word. There were just a lot mm-hmm. of things that felt a little bit like, Oh, that would have been, that was, that was good. I like where we ended, mm-hmm. but it would have been nice to spend a little bit more time with that. Right. Yeah. Just, I felt that way about a lot of things, but I do think that the bulk of this episode and the bulk of the series, I'm, I'm good with where we are. Like, I love Kamala. Mm-hmm. I think she's great. I think a lot mm-hmm. of the main characters in this show are awesome. Her family is fantastic. The moment, the little scene at the end with her dad, when he talks to her and he gives her the name, Miss Marvel. Yeah. That was a, yeah. just a fantastic scene. And the stuff with the family, and I, I will take a lot more positives than I will negatives out of this series. Sure, same, yeah. And I think that this series uh, gained a lot of viewers. Just just looking around at at Twitter and things, I, I saw a lot of people really excited about it, uh, especially young people, um, people who are excited about the diversity shown. I think that uh, representation for this series was something that was pretty groundbreaking in regards to. You know, the Arabic and the Muslim representation, um, you know, Pakistani representation, Indian representation, all that stuff. Um, and they even delved into a little bit of uh, uh, socio-political stuff, you know, with the damage control and the police state element uh, of that and the surveillance state element of of, uh, of that side of, uh, of the culture. So uh, there, there was some stuff to chew on here, and it was a fun show above all. So I really liked it. And it had a, a really sweet going to get into our deep dive we'll discuss everything that happened scene by scene but we feel like a lot of the predictions and things that we sort of wanted we got mm-hmm. you know we where yeah. we are so we end up getting to the point where you know carol danvers shows up at the end there's yeah. this little post-credit scene in kamala and carol danvers in this like trading places sort of mm-hmm. uh you know switching places spot but i'm overall pretty happy with it and watching it back and i, I thought the the rewatches have held up nicely and mm-hmm. yeah everything when this was a show that was in new jersey with kamala with her friends i was good with it 
I think where it was where it got into some trouble was it was just trying to do a little bit too much for season one of a brand new show with brand mm-hmm. new characters and brand new stories. In reading and watching another recap, someone had said, which I think is very a very fair point. When you have shows like this that are tackling uh, a genre or mm-hmm. that are being represented or that are representing a particular group, you never really know if there's going to be another Miss Marvel or if there's going to be another Miss Marvel series. There were probably a lot of little things they wanted to do just in case they never got a chance to do it again. And sometimes in trying that, you have a lot on your plate that you want to, tr- you know, that you want to get done. That's a great point. And maybe it would have served them to do uh, a little bit longer of a first season to be able to tell, uh, you know, the arcs they wanted to explore uh, with a little bit more uh, breadth, a little bit more uh, breathing room, I suppose. Um, And yeah, I think maybe 13 episodes or something like that could have could have done them well, especially if they wanted to, you know, keep the whole part about going to, to Karachi and, you know, the leaving Jersey city, that, that was a big, it was kind of a, a loss for, for us, you know, as, as viewers, uh, the thing that we had uh, attached ourselves to with the show, uh, a lot of those elements, they, they, you know, fell away for like two whole episodes out of the six. So I think if there was just a little bit more breathing room and um, stakes to get there and if it, it didn't feel rushed, that whole part of the journey, it might've felt a little bit more substantial and worthwhile that said again like it was a breezy fun show and it, it did a lot in six episodes and i still by the end of it did care about the characters and it sold me on her origin story kamala's origin story her friends uh and her family are, i feel like were um painted very vividly throughout the series i, I think we got to love every one of them sense. this was yeah, a good episode absolutely. for amir amir was funny yeah in this episode he was when he was like i could just three different things like, when he's sitting there and she's about to give the big reveal that that she's the superhero and she's like, and Amir goes, oh, really? <laughs> you know, like he knew and he was trying to play it off. And then yeah. when they're in the school and Amir just shows up, he's right. like, yeah, I just came in through the window. I mean, I went to school here too. Mom sent me over. She wanted me to make sure you're okay. And he's like, right. superheroes don't need chaperones. And then in the end, when he's telling Oh, I grabbed these guns from the DODC and I was just shooting them up and I was like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's like, what a good episode for Amir. You know, I thought he yeah. had some, uh, there were just some good scenes that, that made me laugh. And then, you know, the, the interaction with Yusuf at the end. And even when mm-hmm. Yusuf was asking Kamala about it and Muniba says, we trust her. Just mm-hmm. the family stuff was some of my favorite stuff in the show. It was great. Muniba was really uh, lovable throughout the series. Uh, She had this motherly quality uh, that was just perfect for the show. And uh, I thought the actress was terrific. I could say that about literally everyone they cast in this. I thought that that was one of the strongest points of the show is is what a great cast they put together. And Bruno, I thought he really shined in this episode, too, as, you know, the best friend. He was a little bit... um, uh, he was the odd man out at one point. Uh, they had a little bit of a role reversal with uh, with uh, Kamran and uh, Kamala having a little bit of a, a moment that Bruno walked in on, uh, which was a role reversal from what happened at the dance, you know, a few episodes back. Um, so I thought that was uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, and who knows what's going on with him? He's going across the country. Maybe there's something in store for him. He's got this brilliant mind. Uh, maybe there's a, a 
you know, a future in super heroics for Bruno Corelli. There should be. There definitely should be. Um, well, let's get on into our deep dive. We'll go scene by scene. We'll hit on anything that we might have missed as uh, we go throughout our Miss Marvel episode six deep dive. We get the previously on, and then we open up in New Jersey with the DODC cleaning up the Circle Q, the damage and destruction uh, from Cameron and from some of his powers. Agent Deaver said that this is what happens when the wrong people get powers. Kids, we need to lock down the city and get them in now before anyone else gets hurt. Uh, she said she wants this kid taken alive, non-lethal rounds. This way we can figure out what the hell he is. So that's an interesting uh, thing, you know, the non-lethal rounds, because the, they sounded an awful lot like Iron Man uh, repulsor weapons, huh? Yes, yes, the Stark tech. Yeah. Which makes sense, too, because um, I believe those were used in the drones that we saw previously in, like, Far From Home. Uh, and I think we've seen them kind of evolved and used throughout the MCU. I love the way when a technology is introduced, you know, in one movie or show, we'll see it pop up elsewhere. It's just part of the beauty of the uh, the whole interconnectivity of the MCU. So Bruno and Cameron, they're trying to avoid the DODC. Bruno's helping Cameron escape all throughout the city and Bruno actually mentions so we're going to transfer at the next stop and head upstate just kind of interesting because in upstate New York is Xavier Institute mm -hmm. and we <laughs> yeah, find out right. at the end of the episode that Kamala is a mutant and possibly Cameron is uh, a mutant right. uh, as they're on the bus though a man sees Cameron's powers as Cameron touches a pole on the subway his hard light is shooting all out and it's it's like when kamala sort of got her powers at the beginning she's not uh cameron can't control anything here he's having a really tough time if he touches something or if he looks something or if he has an emotion or a feel hard light comes out and his powers come out so in out in public people are seeing this teen have you know exuding light in energy yeah. and it's i mean it, it's noticeable right yeah uh they have to they have to get out of there you know uh bruno and cameron are on the run at this point and they they have to uh you know find some place to hide uh so where are they gonna go uh a mosque maybe a mosque is a safe place uh, that's one thing they think of um what did you think of the the hard light that was something that i think was uh i went kind of back and forth on it but in this last episode i I feel like I kind of landed on a, just a mild disappointment in the way that yeah, it looks. Yeah, disappointing like is something. a great word. It didn't, it didn't yeah. overwhelmingly bother me, but I kept kind of just sort of rolling my eyes a lot. Yeah. You know, it, when I would when I'll I would say see this, stuff, it felt a lot when I was watching it like 1998 CG. Like I, I kept thinking of like, wow, this is like X Men. You know, yeah. the, the first X Men movie uh, CG. Uh, maybe not even as good. <laughs> like it was, it was kind of, I don't know. That was that was one thing that really stood out to me uh, with with the budget uh, and the effects. Is the the hard light just never quite worked for me, and that, that's that's a big disappointment. Honestly, that's a big selling point for the series. Uh, you know, is this is a Marvel movie, so the powers are are a major element there. And if they can't get that quite right uh, with the look of it, uh, that that's a that's a big miss. But, you know, it doesn't ruin it entirely for me. Hopefully they can tweak and, you know, add some maybe layers of detail to it or something to 
to to make it seem like something that's not just a CG element because that's all I see when I look at it is a CG element. Uh, so Bruno and Cameron are actually being chased by the DODC on the bus, yeah. and they are able to get away quickly. And the Marvel title studio card comes up the MCU intro as we head back Actually, to the mall. So Go ahead. sorry to interrupt here. You mentioned Marvel title. I happen to see Thor Love and Thunder. Did you happen to see it yet? I have not seen it yet because I've been sick. So just give me like an overall, you know, something that you were going to say. So I, I won't even touch on the story at all, but it was really nice to see Ms. Marvel in that title. Uh, they had a, a there's a, a shot of her in the letters in the Marvel. So I, that was just a nice moment, I thought, like, and I love that they're they're doing that with every movie. They're keeping it super current and connected uh, and they're adding even the uh, the TV characters to the, the big screen uh, you know, versions and their counterparts. So I, I love to see uh, to see Kamala pop up in those letters. Now, back at the con house. Muniba is handing out clothes. She just got a lot of stuff for the family while she was in Pakistan. So she's handing out stuff all over. Kamala's trying to get her family's attention. She says, I have an announcement to make. Actually, first, I have an apology for not making this announcement sooner. Also, for what happened at the wedding. I'm so sorry. And for sneaking out to Avenger Con. Um, and she gets ready for her big moment, the big reveal. I am the light girl. What? Nightlight. <laughs> Amir's like, oh my god, I had no idea. They all pretend, but they're not. Uh, they're not great actors here. They <laughs> they all know as Muniba has given the gossip, so they know that mm -hmm. Kamala is Nightlight, and they're very proud of her. They're very happy for her. They're very excited. You know, uh, yeah. Taisha starts asking about her powers. Are they limitless? Do they have to recharge? Amir is asking questions. Did you mean to drop that kid on purpose or that was like a game time decision, you know? So, <laughs> and and this is this is cool for her as this is sort of what she wanted. Everybody is excited for her and they're happy for her. Her family seems so geeked out that she's, oh, yeah. you know, that, that this is her. Yeah, and I love the questions too. I mean, I would want to know that too. That's the stuff I would be immediately asking about all the details. How does it work? You know, is it limitless? And I, as a viewer, I want to know that. I, we haven't quite explored the limits of her powers yet. And I think she's still discovering those. So she has a moment here with, mm -hmm. with Yusuf. Yusuf, you know, tells, um, Yusuf sort of asks her, you know, he says, This is really incredible. I'm so proud of you. But I just want to be sure that you're careful out there. And this was really genuine. I mean, just because you can do all these amazing things doesn't mean that you actually volunteer to go looking for trouble, right? I worry, Beta. I just worry too much. And, That's you know, a dad right there. <laughs> it's a dad. And she says, yeah. Dad, I don't think you raised me to sit by and do nothing when I can help people. And Muniba says, And we trust her, right? Big smile. <laughs> She's 100% on board with Kamala. Which is, a, so, which is a major arc point, right? Like, she's kind of come all the way around uh, to, you know, she's done a 180, so to speak, like, uh, where she's now being fully supportive and trusting of her daughter. And that was the complete opposite of how she was at the, at the beginning of this story. Now, Nakia is calling Amir, which is kind of weird. Like, why would Nakia be calling Amir, Kamala's brother? Right. But... They notice it. They pick up the phone. And nobody's heard from Bruno, and the circle queue exploded. 
So now Kamala's trying to call Bruno. She's in her room. She's not sure what to do. And as she's getting ready to try to go find Bruno, mom walks in with a box of the milk toffees, but it's not the milk toffees. It's actually the new costume that she made for Kamala. And she's used little pieces of of things that Kamala has gathered through the, the six episodes. And now Kamala has her own new Miss Marvel costume made by her mom. Yeah. And this was a little predictable, but it was perfect. Honestly, I mean, it, it, it predictable. It felt perfunctory, but it had to be this way. It was a great, you know, costume origin story. I love, you know, the backstories of superhero costumes. I love how, you know, Martha Kent, you know, sewed the the first Superman costume for for Clark and uh, one of the versions in in, in Superman story. Uh, and this, I I loved how it was it was piecemealed. How she got like little pieces of her her heritage and her ancestry and her family and different parts of her family all gave her aspects of her, her costume and her identity. I thought that was really cool. I mean, like even Bruno, her friend gave the, gave the mask. So when it all finally comes together in this episode, it, it's, it's really nice. So Kamala in her new costume, she's on the move. She's using her hard light and she stops in the middle of the sky to abide by the traffic lights. I thought that was a, a funny moment. I'll also say uh, I, I liked the the CG here. It didn't bother me as as much, even though there was some hard light and stuff, which I wasn't the biggest fan of. Um, I thought that this looked kind of cool. However, it did look a little bit weightless, like her, her movement there. Uh, if I'm going to nitpick, that would be one thing. Uh, but more so, my complaint would be story-wise, I felt like she, she did a two large of a like leap and bound forward in her abilities here i felt like she went from zero to a hundred kind of like she seemed so uh i, I don't know like ag- agile and that was not part of her, her her deal before that you know obviously she's gonna have more confidence in her powers and be better but uh, i felt like there wasn't uh, a ramp up it was just like she was she kind of sucked and then all of a sudden she got a costume and now she's like whipping around the city like super high no fear of heights like just I don't know. I'd be kind of like sketched out a little bit that my hard light might like break apart and fall away or something like that. I guess you could say that about Spider-Man, you know, too. Like what if his web shooters don't work? And they've explored that in the past, too. So maybe that that's something we'll see from, uh, from Kamala down the line. Like she's zipping through the city doing that. And all of a sudden her hard lights not beneath her. Like that would be a, a scary moment. Now, Bruno and Cameron head to the mosque to hide out. Probably not the greatest choice there as bruno says houses of worship they're supposed to offer sanctuary nakia says this is a mosque in america damage control jcpd held department of sanitation probably has us under surveillance when the coast is clear head to the high school i'll call kamala the high school is the only place guaranteed to be empty on a saturday so at the mosque the sheik and nakia and all of the uh the um all of the community members there, they actually are helping to try to buy some time for Bruno and for Cameron. When Agent Deaver walks into the mosque, ready to rough up anyone who disagrees, they're all nicely standing there with their IDs out. They've been through this rodeo a million times. They've got cookies. They're just making the best of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love the way that they, you know, they kind of cover for, for them and uh uh, I especially love the uh, the whole closet gag 
that they did a, a little bit later with with, uh, with Nakia trying to like hide her boyfriend, quote unquote, uh, behind there. Uh, it, it was a great distraction and uh, a nice uh, a nice bit right there. And it was it was nice that the the mosque and the community also rallied to support Kamala and her friends there too. Uh, it, that played into the theme of this whole episode, really, where we saw the community at large by the end of it, you know, all literally rallying around her uh, to defend her and uh, stand by her. Now, Deaver says if to the Sheik, if you're abating, abetting a potential suspect, no one will be on your side. The Sheik's response, I don't need anyone on my side. I'm not even concerned if God is on my side as long as I am on his side, for God is always right. And Preach. Deaver tells, her, uh, tells him, I don't have time for Quranic quotes. He says, actually, that was Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> the next scene I thought was great as Deaver and the DODC agents continue to look around. And it yeah. it it seems like Nokia is hiding Bruno and Cameron. Yeah. And Deaver says, I'm going to go in that room. And Nokia says, no, you can't go in there. You, you can't go in there. And finally, she says, OK, uh, it's just storage. It's just disinfectant wipes. And when they open the door. It's Miguel, the the boy, the secret boyfriend yeah. that she's hiding. Yeah. She doesn't want her mom to know. Uh, Miguel, who's really excited that she was that he was called a boyfriend. But yeah. I, I just thought, thought this this scene was kind of funny as uh, it was a big deal yeah. to her to keep him quiet. But it seems like they were all in on the gag together. Oh, def- yeah, definitely. I, I, I love that bit. It it reminded me of this uh, time I, I did a kind of a dick thing back in uh, when I was like a a freshman in, in college, some guys in my dorm got busted for trying to sneak some beer into the into the uh, dorm. Like the security stopped and checked their bags. So I, just as a, a sign of uh, of uh, just I don't know rebellion, I guess I just went down to the Seven Eleven. I stuffed some Diet Coke into my bag. I bought it, of course, and then I walked into the into my <laughs> college dorm like super suspicious, right? Like like inviting them to search me basically and then held them up uh while i said no i have rights basically uh that's so waited to the last minute where, where they basically called the cops and had them come over there to search my bag open up my bag and it's a can of coke it's a, a case of coke and then i just Look walk upstairs just, Tim just Kelly. Pur- purposely wasted their time yeah it reminded me of that i, I just thought of that right right now oh but that's it was, great uh, it's been that years great <laughs> putting the foot down tk proving a point <laughs> I probably uh, just wasted my own time there, but it was a fun yeah. memory. <laughs> oh, this is funny. So the they get help at the mosque. Bruno and Cameron are able to sneak out the back. The sheik gives them a disguise. They put on baseball caps that say haram and halal, and, uh, yeah. and they're on their way. Uh, so Bruno and Cameron head out back into an alley, and as they're out back, they are met by Kamala, who's running down her lily pads of hard light, a new superhero costume. They both ask each other what they're wearing, but Kamala and Bruno hug. They embrace, and it's just a quick moment because Cameron seems to be almost possessed by his new abilities. Hard light shooting out. He's having different random episodes where he just can't control anything, and Kamala doesn't know what to do. So she actually calls Kareem for help, and he agrees. He says that if you if she can get Cameron to the harbor by midnight, 
he knows someone who can get him out. It takes a little coercing, but yeah. th- these are the things that that all feel like they just are a little too quick. Like it's like everything feels like it happens just a little quick. Like it's just one I, phone call or one little yeah. thing here and there, you know. I agree. However, this part got me thinking because I feel like it's a little bit ambiguous and we don't know that uh, that Cameron is actually going to be in safe hands when he goes over there. We don't know that Kareem has the best intentions here. He might just be placating Kamala and going, yeah, I care about you, but uh, your friend, no, I don't care about your friend. Like I'll still, I, 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 I might be willing to piss you off Kamala if I can, you know, get your friend uh, there. That might be what's happening. And, Kamran might be getting set up. We don't have confirmation by the end of the episode. Uh, we see them meet. We see nothing more beyond that. So there could be a, a huge uh, twist happening here where it turns out that Kareem, you know, he's not going to be forgiving of Kamran. I could very well see that that, uh, that might be where they're going. Now, Kamala, Bruno, and Kamran sneak into the school. Naki is already there waiting for them. And Naki and Kamala have their... Uh, their interaction, which Nakia just sort of, she's just bummed. She says, I mean, I tell you everything, and the biggest thing that's ever happened to you, and you didn't tell me. Kamala says, but you hate superheroes. I didn't want you to hate me. I wonder if that's something we're going to explore a little bit more, right? It it seemed like a random line for her to say you hate superheroes and us not find out more as to why Nakia would hate superheroes. Yeah, that actually did get me thinking, like, uh, did I miss something earlier in some context about her no. really hating superheroes? Or was it just that she was – maybe she said something about the the light girl earlier? I, I didn't have a specific memory that tied to that. Yeah. Uh, but I did note that, you know, that, that bit of conflict. That could be something that they're just setting up for, you know, down the road and that there is a deeper backstory to it. You know, who knows? Maybe her, she has uh, family members that were – killed in one of these crazy battles that have happened, you know, the battle of New yep. York or, you know, whatever. There's so many uh, instances where there've been you know, civilian casualties and things like that. You can, you got to imagine there's a lot of people who are just angry at superheroes in general and blame them. Uh, that was explored pretty, pretty well, I think in the Zack Snyder Superman uh, movies. And I would love to see them do it more in the MCU. We saw a little bit of it with like the Sokovia Accords and things like that, but we haven't really seen a whole lot of, ground level just regular people and how they feel about uh superheroes and you know how that affects the socio-political climate and you know all that now kamala and nakia have their moment they they come to an agreement here where kamala just apologizes and said i messed up i'm sorry but they don't have time for any sweet moments because damage control is there. Bruno sees damage control outside. They've arrived and Kamala wants Bruno and Nakia to get to safety, but Bruno and Nakia stand firm. You know, they, they blew up Bruno's apartment. They invaded the mosque a couple times. And then Zoe just shows up out of nowhere. This literally appears out of nowhere. She's, they tried me to, they tried to trick me into giving you up. And they're like, Zoe, what are you doing here? She goes, oh, the theater has good lighting. That's where I film my TikToks. <laughs> and I owe you for saving my life. So Zoe comes out of nowhere, someone who we thought may have been like a mean girl type. And she right. is a huge, huge part in saving the day for them. Yeah, which I, I love that because uh, 
you know, in real life, uh, I think it's rare that, you know, someone is just a villain or I know, just people, a mean girl. Or bad exactly. girl. You know, people people have have depth to it. And like uh, that's a good message to send too. that, like sometimes you might have friction with people or you might think of, of a person as a certain way. But there's always two sides to every story. You don't know what's going on in their head. They might appreciate you more than you realize. Um, and you might have common ground uh, and and. You know, people, I think, are all essentially good, mostly. Uh, obviously, there's going to be exceptions to that. But I think, you know, seeing the good in people uh, generally is is a generally good thing. Um, and also, this ties into the comics, too. The comics presented her in a very similar way. Uh, from what I understand, she uh, started out as a mean girl there and then became part of the social circle. And I think even has a relationship or a crush on Nakia, if I'm not mistaken. I think that yes. there's a little bit... There's some you, um, nods to her being, uh, you know, in the closet, uh, lesbian. And she makes a comment and uh, yeah. and says like, afterwards, I think that Kamala should be able to tell everyone when she wants to. Right. You know, she right. she wants to when she that. wants to come out, she can come out. And we yeah. do see Nakia and Zoe have some I don't know if it's flirting, but they're definitely having some chemistry yeah. in, throughout the next the, the second half of this episode. From here on out, yeah. so something to monitor moving forward as Kamala has her Home Alone plan. She's got the Charlie yeah. Day conspiracy theory chalkboard exactly. there. <laughs> she lays it all out. Okay, DODC is already here. We can't outrun them, so we distract and stall as long as possible until Cameron's safe. Now, as they're talking, the DODC is outside setting up and getting them prepped and um, getting ready to enter the school but the agents yeah. don't really seem to be agreeing with Deaver's tactics a lot of them right like she seems like she's kind of going rogue she gets shoulder checked at one point which i yeah. thought was crazy like a dude walks by and he's like bumps her pretty hard in the shoulder now amir he just shows up out of nowhere in the middle of the plan he says yeah we'll yeah. keep him busy while you run out the back she looks kamal looks over like amir what are you doing here there's a oh, bathroom window I went to school here too. Mom sent me to watch out for you. <laughs> it was just so nonchalant. She's yeah. kind of mad for a second. Then Kamala just sort of gets right back into it. Fine. Just don't ruin anything. Amir, Zoe, you grab supplies. Bruno and I are on mad scientist duty. After that, we grab every fire extinguisher in the school. Zoe, you're on the softball team, right? And when she says this, she says, you and Na Nakia grab as many balls as you can. She kind of says it with like a, how a kid would say it <laughs> you know she almost like laughs her way through it yeah uh which i, I thought was a, a good little a good little nod and as she's going on with her plan nakia says we're gonna stop damage control with softballs she goes no <laughs> we're gonna stall damage control with softballs and the real plan is zoe mm. so total home alone plan they've got it all mapped yeah. out it, that was my this first is another thought. thing. It was very, very home alone. And also I, Jane I Silent Bob from all that. I like it. I like what they're doing. It just felt mm -hmm. really, really rushed through. Like very oh my, thank quick. you. Yeah. So, so quickly. I liked it like almost in theory more than its execution. Like I, I could totally see what they were going for. Like that home alone moment, like you said. Uh, they, uh, like I love that moment in Mall Rats when they're when Jane Silent Bob are, are planning uh their their little heist too. But um, the, the stylization 
I liked that too. Like uh, the stuff with the, the chalkboard and the little animation. Uh, I felt that that was stronger in like the first episode though. I felt like this was a budget version of that. And I was a little bit disappointed in, in that execution. I thought there was more that could have been done with that sequence, especially for a finale, like pull out all the stops, have it, you know, have the budget be a, a, a little bit higher. And uh, I, I think they could have just done a little bit more with it. Now, the, do we, I couldn't find his name. Do we know agent, the agent, like the uh, main DODC agent's name? I kept looking Cleary? for it. There I we go. Cleary, okay. I think. There we go. Okay. So that's, that's Deaver's superior. And right. as they are out in front of the, the school, they're talking back and forth. And Cleary tells her, hey, look. I don't care if you need any more time. You're not going to get it. Evacuate now. She's trying to sell it. She said, look, it's not just one enhanced individual. It's two. They're leaving a trail of destruction all throughout Jersey City. Just give me three minutes. He says, no, absolutely not. Evacuate now. She says, OK. Think about what she said there. Is that true? Have they left a trail of destruction or has it been damage control that's really done this destroying? Absolutely. Damage control has been the one destroying. They haven't done anything. She's she's tilting it for, yeah. you know, to to make her story better. This is something that we see uh, cops and officials do sometimes, you know, to right. uh, keep the heat off of them. But she she goes against orders and she radios in additional units immediately after hanging up the phone and and being told otherwise. So she's going rogue. Yeah. And the kids are inside the school. Getting ready for their plan. Nakia thinks it's really cool that Zoe has kept the secret, has kept Kamala's secret. They share a moment. Zoe says, uh, Kamala saved my life at AvengerCon. She should be able to tell the world when she's ready. So okay. Zoe has uh, some secrets herself, but she wants to be able to tell everyone. And uh, she thinks the same for Kamala. And she's now, also, Kam- that reveals her motivation too. You know, she wants to pay Kamala back, she feels indebted to her. For having saved her, you know, at AvengerCon. So I, I like that. It, it it ties back to the first episode, and it, it makes sense. You know, there's her motivation is pretty sound in the way they uh, constructed it. it. Kamala talks with Bruno, and she tells her what happened in Pakistan. Uh, tells Bruno about what happened in Pakistan. That Najma didn't make it, and they they flash to the scene of Amir talking with Cameron like a big brother. Kind of grilling someone that his sister might be dating. He's like, yeah. "What were you even doing with my sister? Driving <laughs> lessons?" He's like, "Oh, do you even like British Bake Off?" Uh, you know, it's just. <laughs> I thought it was another good, good little scene yeah. for Amir here. Um, but a key piece is that Bruno tells Kamala not to tell Cameron until they're all out of there. That that information may be something that is his breaking point. Finding out that. His mom is dead. Yeah. <laughs> and that does uh, turn out to be something later, for sure. So the DODC agents enter the school. And as they enter, it looks like there's a bomb on the floor. But it was one of yeah. uh, Bruno's smart devices here, right? Um, yeah. That's making the sounds and playing music and controlling a disco ball. Drops so a they've disco got... ball with lasers pointed to it. <laughs> I love yeah, that. they've got this whole thing set up. And very home alone. Very, very, very home alone. Exactly like home alone. And we see we see the SWAT, the DODC agents like a SWAT team. Huge weapons. Yeah. Militarized. Like, 
entered in the school and mm-hmm. and now the plan goes. Bruno sets up Zoe's live stream and here we go. This is just like what we saw in the boys recently with Starlight. If you uh Right, yeah. She had the live stream to uh to tell every, show everyone what Homelander was really like is And it's Zoe, the inverse of the the Spider-Man dynamic. What happens at yeah. the end of you know, Far From Home where he's revealed to everybody by J Jonah Jameson. This is like She's being J. Jonah Jameson for, for good. Zoe is. Now, Zoe is at Cole's High. She said, the damage control has me and my friends surrounded. Two have superpowers. I know, they're being, but they're being targeted. These people are super scary, and they're just not backing down. Please, you have to help us. To all my loyal followers, tag this message and share stories. Let's so go. everyone's getting alerted now. Muniba and Yusuf and others are getting alerted of Zoe's live stream. As Deaver continues with the operation, blatantly disobeying her orders. We have a target in a red hoodie and a baseball cap. Repeat, target is on foot in a red hoodie and a baseball cap. So part of the plan. Like the, hoodie, the hoodie is a little bit of a social commentary there. Just, just yeah, a little bit. You're right. You're right. And part of the plan was to have everybody dressed up in these hoodies. So that way it would be hard to pinpoint who exactly Cameron was. So Bruno's wearing one, Zoe's wearing one, Naki is wearing one, and they're all trying to kind of cause diversions all over the school. And you have all these little yeah. small pranks from Kamala's plan that that seem to be working. And there's mm-hmm. a big science experiment that creates a big explosion, like the the lava volcano experiments that we've all done. The baking that was soda. really cool. That's right? actually uh, so that's. Elephant toothpaste, if I'm not mistaken. Cool. Yes. Uh, that's yes. something that uh, has gone viral in uh, recent years. I think just this year, uh, in fact, uh, they did some record-breaking elephant toothpaste stuff. There's a, a YouTuber named Mark Rober who does amazing, like, he'll do gadgets. And that, in fact, I feel like there was two homages to Mark Rober in this very uh, episode. Uh, he'll do these gadgets every year where he, um, he pranks package thieves. So he'll create, like, basically, like, uh, a glitter bomb, a, a, a more elaborate like glitter bomb that's in a fake package, and it'll get people to steal them. And then he has the whole thing like recorded in some way, uh, and the, like they're and broadcast uh, it. And he does these great videos where like all of a sudden the the, the thieves they open up the, the the package and then they're like they're they're glitter bombed, and then there's a fart smell, and then they're they're recorded, and it's 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 a great like revenge prank thing. Uh, but he also did these great elephant toothpaste stuff, which is just massive. And it looks just like that. And I thought that was a really cool tie in to the fact that Kamala is a YouTuber and, you know, uh, um, Zoe's a TikToker. So they're using the social media, you know, new media uh, savviness uh, to their advantage here. I thought that was uh, really cool. Um, Yeah. So Cameron and Kamala have this moment They are hiding behind a desk together, trying to hide from the DODC, and they're holding hands, and they lean in where they're about to have a kiss. But Bruno comes around the corner, and he's, like, yelling something to them. He doesn't realize they're about to kiss, but then after he said it, he, like, stops. It's this awkward moment where he sees it. Brutal. And you just, oh, your poor heart breaks a little for Bruno. It, Truly, like, yeah, because they're all. Imagine, imagine how much that would hurt. To be honest, like you're in the middle of this crazy thing, you're you're fighting off damage control. You're helping 
your you're best friend who you, you're in love people. with. You're helping and then this you camera see them, guy about who you make, don't even know. It would, it would, it would, it would hurt so bad to see that. Honestly, like in the middle, of, you'd feel like you were so on the outside of what's going on. You know, in a way, like because a moment ago you're thinking you're all in sync and you're all working together on this thing that's very important, and then there's just this huge 180 where you see oh, you're having a romantic moment in the middle of all, of all this, just you two. Like we're out here helping you. You're having to like I would, I would be hurt and a little bit angry at the same time but bruno he's a g he takes it like a g and he uh he moves on he, he they, they've got a job to do and he's he's a good dude and he, he doesn't make it a thing really but you could tell he's he's just in pain when he sees that gosh yeah he's he's helping them he sees this and then he just goes on and helps them again yeah, yeah. cameron thanks bruno and then he causes a, a big distraction bruno does to to buy time and then the DOD Cameron just, calls him Bruno too. Uh, that's a, yeah. uh, uh, he does a full circle, and they they really made a point to like show it, and he says it like Bruno. And he 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 shows him respect too when he does, and it, you really see that between the two of them. There's a mutual respect at that point, even though they they know that they're both in love with the same girl. They both see that about each other, but they respect each other at this point, and they that's the that's their one element of conflict. Everything else they're kind of in sync with, and so. It's a it's a nice moment because despite that that huge pain, they're still men and they're still uh, good people to each other in that moment. Amir, Zoe, and Nakia start shooting their softballs at the DODC agents, and yeah. as soon as Amir starts to celebrate, the yeah. agents just detain him. him. Zoe, <laughs> Nakia, but so I like that they acted for a moment like it was gonna work, and then it doesn't work. You know, yeah. like well, that's, it was just supposed to stall. They stalled for a, mo- a few moments at least, and all. then they got their faces slammed against the gym floor pretty yeah, hard. They do, they do buy some time for Kamala and Cameron, which was the yeah. which was the point all along. Yeah. Can we talk copaganda for a second? Oh yeah, please. So I gotta think that this there's people who are I know for a fact there are already a, a ton of people who talk MCU of like military propaganda and and propaganda in its own ways too. Uh, I think that you could very much argue that this episode has some elements uh, of propaganda in it. Uh, for one, you've got the whole bad apple cop dynamic. So they're framing it in a way that like, it's not the institution that's the problem. It's one bad apple going rogue there. So that's one element of the propaganda that I think is a, is a little bit, um, you know, arguably problematic, uh, not necessarily though. Uh, the other aspect I would say is like you've got these SWAT guys coming going in to a school with non-lethal uh, pr- uh, projectiles, and they're being engaged by you know random people in hoodies who they would probably regard as terrorists, and they're they're not just gunning them down <laughs> instantly, which is uh, what I would assume would happen uh, is that you know a military force is going to use lethal force ninety percent of the time rather than this uh, other invented technology that you know it's it's comics so i'll i'll ride with that um but then even at the end you've got uh you know jumping ahead a little bit you've got the cops the good cops the local pd kind of stepping up against the militarized cops uh which is kind of a fiction and kind of a fantasy i I don't you don't really see that um so there's I, I just wanted to make sure that we brought this up because i know that this is something that uh people watching are, are thinking about at least some subset of, you know, the population is 
kind of fixated on stuff like pop, uh, propaganda. There's a, there's a, a meme that pops up on Twitter like every other week about how it's it's far time we recognize that um, Brooklyn Nine Nine is uh, propaganda, and uh, I always laugh at that. But uh, there's there's some truth to it. I I think there's got to be, uh, especially with the recent news and things that you've seen ha- happen with with police officers uh, in Uvalde specifically. This was a particularly weird episode to watch so soon after this. I know Uvalde it was thing. all it's it's like it there's no way it was timed this way, obviously, right? This stuff right. was set up months ago. But yeah. Disney was the, like, oh shit when the, the way, <laughs> when they right, realized that the timing of it. But the timing of what just happened with the sh- with the kid with the shooting, this is a high school and you're right. And even I don't mind it. I when I watched mm-hmm. it back the um i guess it must have been like the third time when we mm-hmm. when we see coming up in just a moment the the moment when all the cops sort of go and mm-hmm. stand together in front of Kamala and and yeah and band together that was the one that i think a lot of people were bothered by initially and mm-hmm. and you know what i i sort of agree in that it seems weird now when i watched it back i did actually see that th- there were those particular cops were standing right in the spot where Cameron threw that car. So she actually mm-hmm. saved their lives by like right. catching the car. So in, in that particular case, those few specific cops that went over, I don't have a problem with it because, oh yeah, that girl just saved their life. But overall, what it was, what it was sort of the message that they're, they're going for here. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit like, well, what are they trying to do here? You know, it's I, I don't even know if it's intentional, you know, no, I, I'm not even going to no. put that behind it. I just think it's part of like, you know, our culture and the way that cops are, are written about on TV, you know, traditionally and stuff. And I feel like a lot of what we saw here was kind of derivative of like TV depictions of, of cops and, and military even down to like at the end where, uh, you know, they're lining up the cops and saying fire, cease fire. Like that doesn't seem like. I don't think that's how they rock it. Like police, I don't think they ever yeah. have one person with a bullhorn going, no. fire! Hey, fire. fire. Like, like, yeah. That's that's from movies. That's movies and TV that have done that. And like that's old tiny shit too. I was gonna say uh, that's that, like the like, the old ages when you gotta light the freaking musket. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna yeah. say three, two, um, one. Yeah. Yeah, but to play devil's advocate also to what I was saying, kind of in support of that moment with the cops too, you could also argue that that was a symbolic moment um, where local police and, you know, a a local police force is kind of stepping up against this militarized, uh, you know, fascistic police force. And maybe it's it's an argument for uh, a different type of policing. You know, I think we could probably all agree that police officers like who police and operate out of their own neighborhoods, that's a kind of a better dynamic than someone than police officers being like shipped in from the suburbs or something to go police Jersey city, which is how it is. That's kind of how it is. Uh, so, you know, technically in real life, those cops that were the Jersey city cops probably were what I'm describing right now. They're probably live in like Monmouth County, some really nice area of Jersey. And then they, they drive into Jersey city and then police that neighborhood in, in, in reality. But I feel like on the show, what they were trying to depict is like, an ideal where the, the, there's a good 
local uh, police force who is benevolent and trying to, uh, you know, just protect and serve their community. So Kamala and Cameron are now together trying to get Cameron free. And this is where he finds out as he asks what happened in Pakistan. Kamala says that Najma did exactly what she swore. She pierced the veil. She tried to destroy everything. Cameron says that she was trying to save our world, my home. My mother's dead, isn't she? And he gets angry. And so now there's a strange dynamic because the DODC is chasing Kamala and Cameron, but Cameron mm-hmm. is trying to fight back at them. Kamala's trying yeah. to kind of avoid them, but she's also trying to keep Cameron from like going full evil here. Yeah, yeah. And and Cameron, he seems almost possessed with like yep. the spirit of his mother. Yes. Um, and because you can hear like there, yeah. there is something of Najma still in there because sometimes his mm-hmm. powers comes over him and you hear the the little call the music. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. The, oh, you know that was yeah, yeah. when when Najma would show up. So is she still in there? Is she possessing him? Is she controlling him somehow? We don't know, and that could be right. Yeah, and to what extent? I think they have a lot of um, leeway to to play with that. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like her consciousness is like forcing it could be just this general like life force or energy that you know was associated with her uh and you know it's not necessarily someone's like pulling the strings but it could just be that he's being influenced by her energy so outside of the school a crowd has been built up now all the people seeing zoe's instagram kamala's family random bystanders and they're all Holding up their phones, they're wa- they're you know on social media, and they're watching this crazy event. As Cameron busts out through one of the doors, he looks so evil, and he approaches yeah. cops with all the weapons pointed at him. That scene in the uh, X Men is the one you think of when we're thinking of mutants. I know it was uh, Eric on New Rockstars right. was mentioning that as. Yeah. We, you know, we can't help but think of some mutant stuff now with mutants being brought up at the end of this episode. Yeah. Diva, D, uh, Agent Deaver tells Cameron to get on his knees, but the DODC fires shots at him. And as they do, Kamala jumps out the window using her powers to create a shield that protects Cameron from the bullets. And Cameron actually initially does a, a small shield, which was like just barely enough to to save his vital organs. But Kamala jumps down and does this huge shield that, that covers them both. So I think that that uh, kind of indicates that she's got at least greater, greater power than him or more control over her powers at this point than he does. So all these bystanders are around and Deaver's just trying to like murder these kids. <laughs> she's using this Stark tech, these massive weapons. They, they prep for a bigger weapon that looks like a sonic blaster that just knocks Kamala and Cameron off their feet. They're sort of dazed. They're out of it. Mm-hmm. Bruno and Kamala are they're, – they're yelling, kind of scared, trying to motivate Kamala, calling to her. Yeah. As Deaver readies the weapon for another shot, Kamala gets big. She yeah, says – Embiggins. Embiggins. And I can't help but think Simpsons anytime I hear that word. She gets we get the, the video game music. 
it was like a as soon as she got bigger and she gets to about 10 feet she's glowing huge fist she lays waist to a car then she checks on the men inside to make sure they were okay they're fine and the dodc agents they just line up to shoot at her but she's using the hard light to shield all of their firing is cameron starts getting really serious firing back at the DODC agents. He mm. throws a car and it's going to hit this big group of innocent people. Officers, Kamala's able to use her powers to catch it. She strains, she saves tens, maybe hundreds of lives there as the crowd all cheers. They're alive. <laughs> They've made it. Yeah. And uh so yeah, it's it's a battle going on here as Cameron is emitting hard light in big rock-like formations all over. Kamala's struggling to approach him, mm-hmm. but she's able to create this dome around her and Cameron, again, saving all of these people from his hard light and his power and that the power that he's not able to control. Yeah. Yeah, this moment reminded me a little bit of uh, X-Men The Last Stand. Yeah. There's this moment when... Um, when Phoenix Jean Grey, it, it, she's got this crazy whirlwind of, of uh, power and energy around her, and just just it's just disintegrating things. And uh, Logan Wolverine is is trying to approach her and like pushing forward through this energy, and just, pieces of him are just falling apart. Um, it, it it reminded me of that. Only honestly, not quite as good. And that's and that's not my favorite X Men movie either. That was a uh, one of the worst ones, I'd say. But uh, Still, that moment there, I thought, which probably came almost 20 years ago, kind of outshined this, which was a little bit disappointing um, to see something that was derivative, but not doesn't top the thing that came before. Um, and that also extends to just I wasn't crazy about the the hard light look and no. the nor dimension, all that stuff. It just to me looked very fake, very CG, just superimposed over the the frame. Uh, and then I, I gotta say too, the Embiggens moment, uh, I thought was a little bit of a, of a letdown in its execution, all this stuff in its, uh, conception, I think are, are really clever. And I think kind of what needed to happen, I think it's the execution where it kind of fell short. Uh, when she, when she Embiggens, it's a great story beat, but they don't visually do anything to sell her scale. In fact, like it's, she's almost, it, it doesn't seem like she's that big at, at times. There's not a whole lot that she that they do with the framing and the lensing, uh, and then also putting things in the foreground and background to to sell that scale. They, there's just not enough of that, and it felt rushed and poorly poorly executed. I, I suppose. Um, that said, like I liked the moment. I liked what they were going for. It just it just didn't really hit for me. Um, the fact that it was so well constructed, I think, you know, in its ideation uh, uh, and just story beat wise, uh, it still it still had some satisfaction for me in this moment. I felt like they put things together, but it just that I couldn't help but feel a little disappointed in those those elements. So they're inside this dome. Cameron and Kamala talk. He says, my mom was right. This is not my home. Kamala corrects him, but she saved it for you. In her last moments, she sent everything she had to protect you. She chose you. 
Kamala goes on, look, there's no normal. There's just us and what we do with what we've been given. Get to the harbor and I'll buy you time. So she creates time for Cameron to leave through a hole in the floor. And he's able to uh, to get to what we think is clearance. We do actually see him meet up with with Kareem, but we don't really know anything more than that. So yeah. that's sort of his where Cameron leaves off. But Deaver is not done. She wants to go after Kamala. But all the people around, Kamala's family, friends, random officers, they all band together. They stand in front of Kamala to protect her. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2 moment. It's, it's, it's nice. Like, it's a sweet moment. You know, it, yeah. it, it is. And the phone call comes in for Deaver. And it was the uh, <laughs> superior officer saying, don't say anything. Don't do anything. Yeah. Just get out of there. You went against my orders publicly. You attacked a bunch of kids using our name. And you know what that means? You're relieved of duty. A unit is coming to fix your mess. Get out of there now. <laughs> I love the way he delivered that line, by the way. And I got Me so too. I get so jealous listening to it because just I I would love to when somebody just completely screws up on on the job or like goes against uh you know your instructions. I would love to just chew somebody out like that. I never will though. <laughs> it's not it's not in me, uh, and it's not smart or uh or nice to do uh, this day and age at, at the job, but man, does that feel, or it, it just seems like it would feel so cathartic to just be able to let somebody know One exactly time. how they were doing like that. Just let loose, yeah. especially a person like a diva, you know, someone yeah, well, yeah. who, who was <laughs> like, uh, like it'd be different if you reacted that way. It's someone that was nice and you're like, oh crap, what'd I do? But diva, yeah. you can, you can get at diva. As um, she's cartoonishly villainous. I mean, she has so her hairstyle like made you think, like, okay, this is a bad person. I don't know what so about bad. something I about mean, the way she just does her hair makes me think that like, racist. She, she hates kids. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Check all of the boxes. As yeah. Deaver calls off the DODC agents, and the people celebrate, and Kamala goes off using her lily pads, hard light to yeah. get the safety. And I thought that the- was so it's so funny like how Kamala's been able to escape almost every episode. Like with, I know with damage control or somebody like right there. Like they'll be like right on the other side of a bus or just a few people. And then she'll get away. She'll be like 20 yards away. And then they'll be like, ah, she's gone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> There's no way we'll ever get her we'll now. Never <laughs> see her again. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and uh, uh, one more critique here, just not to nitpick or anything, but uh, the crowd, uh, this is a, something that I notice in a, a lot of movies when they do crowd stuff. It's all extras. Nobody's a real actor. Uh, uh, there was real actors, obviously, mixed in. Main characters were in the crowd. But yeah, something about it just felt so stagey and fake. Even Muniba, who I felt like was so authentic throughout this whole like series, there's this these shots of her like standing in the crowd and holding her hand out very dramatically and calling out, uh, Beta! And, and it's just, I get what they're going for there, but it just felt like we're going to try to m- make some drama here. Uh, obviously, that's what's happening in a, a show, but it, it didn't feel authentic in any sense. It, it, it felt very performative uh, on screen, and it, it just felt disconnected, too. It felt like I was watching an assembly of takes as opposed to something happening in real time. Um, just a lot of the seams uh, showing on this show for me. Um, that said, again, story beat wise, 
the idea that you would be doing that, it, it all makes sense. It was just something about the clunkiness of the execution of it that threw me off. We then get the montage of TikToks. People celebrating Kamala. Yeah. Um, she's at home and she's just watching all of these. Uh, Aunt Ruby is one. There's actually a TikTok yeah. from the creator of the comic, uh, which is yeah, kind of cool. Familiar, right? Um, Miguel, like, familiar. the boyfriend of Nakia is in there. We see the Sheik who's got a TikTok. We see um, yeah. Nakia and Zoe um, kind of having a fun little jokey moment together as Zoe said, I want to use my platform to amplify your voice. And there's even one from the boy that she saved. She's a freaking action superhero, mad skills. But I don't know where those skills went when she dropped me and broke my leg. Guess I was the beta test. Yeah. Uh, And she's watching all these TikToks in her room and she's kind of smiling. and, And she's looking at herself in the mirror and she's in her costume and she's confident now. And it's she's got a little smile, a little smirk. She's proud. She what a saved smirk too. People's that was lives. A great, that was a hell of a smirk. It was. Like, it, it felt. It felt like a a portrait or something. It felt right out of the comics. I I I know that there's an image that they drew from with that, and she just completely uh, captured it. I, I love that. They, there's a few moments in this where they pull from the from the comics, and it's immediately apparent. Uh, and they did a really good job of that. You're right. You can sort of, it's almost like she's like, it's the smirk is it's got its own life. It's like, yeah. it's its <laughs> own energy that, that comes in. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's Ms. Marvel to, to a T. It is. So she's sitting right outside of her room on the roof. That's, that's out there. And her dad comes out to have a chat. This was one of my favorite parts of the whole series where, yeah. when they sat down and chatted for a moment, she is. So Yusuf, is you are now the great superhero called what? And she says, I'm still figuring it out. He says, of course you are. We are all still figuring it out. But you saved people, Kamala. Now, as he's telling the, you know, having this serious heart-to-heart moment with Kamala, we get a quick clip of Amir inside telling his tale. Man, and I was, yeah. I, I, it was the heaviest thing I ever picked up. I saw damage control agents all around. So I spun <laughs> around, I shot him in the face. And Muniba and, T- and Taisha are smiling. They're laughing. They're like, they're happy to hear his tale, you know? Um, mm. And uh, we cut back to Yusuf. He said, You saved lives. And if you saved one life, you saved the world. Do you know why we named you Kamala? Your mother and I tried for years to have a second child. We'd almost lost all hope. And then you came. Beta, you were so perfect. That's what Kamal means in Arabic. Perfect. But in Urdu, it's more like uh, wonder, marvel. Kamal means marvel. She goes, I share the same name as Carol frickin' Danvers. And Yusuf laughs. I don't know who that is, but you sure are and have always been our own little Miss Marvel. The dad gives her the name Mom gives her the costume She gets a little bit from everyone From family And she gives a big hug to her dad And I love the way As she just goes off into the night sky Mm -hmm. I love How proud And happy and excited He looks at her He gazes at her with this look When he says magic Absolute magic You have never seen a period more proud of their children of their child yeah. than in that moment you sold the hell out of that and i, th- I think they lit him really nice too you could see the light in his eyes uh yeah, like and- a smile 
Yeah. yeah. What a, what a performance too! Like the the parents on this show, I, I thought just exuded parental energy and that love and support and and worry for their kids. Uh, like all, all those things mixing together in a very um, just very accurate way, very very relatable way. It, it, it felt very authentic to me. One of my favorite parts. Really, mm-hmm. really good stuff. As yeah. Kamala looks on at her city. She's sitting on top of a streetlight. This is, you know, just your your yeah. friendly neighborhood superhero. You know? Yeah. Um, this is that image. Uh, the other one I was talking about, I think it was Ms. Marvel number five, uh, the cover of it. And it's almost I- identical, like, mirror shot of that. So a week later, Kamala and Bruno and Nakia all meet up. Cameron has left his car. And it's pretty funny because they're all joking about who should get the car. Bruno's like, right. oh yeah, me and Cameron are buddies now. You know, we really bonded in that explosion. I, yeah. I look good driving it. Probably gonna take it to Caltech. Uh, I want to know where they landed on that on that too, because it was a little ambiguous when they drove I know. away. It was. <laughs> and Nokia says, I think it looks much better on the streets of New Jersey of Jersey City yeah. without you in it. And Kamala, <laughs> she adds her two cents. Oh yeah, I I agree. And Bruno says, no, I disagree for three. <laughs> and I like so that. Like, that line was nice. That little rhyme. Cute moment. Yeah. Nakia gives him a hug. Bruno says, I'm only going to be a 43-hour drive away. But I need to tell you something, Kamala. I went back, and I looked at your genetic makeup again. And I love how Kamala interrupts him. Bruno, you know, you can call me when you're bored. And he's like, no, look, this is important, okay? Um, we know why you have access to the Noor and how you can wield it. But when I compared you to the rest of your family, something seemed off. There's something different in your genes, like a mutation. And as he says it, we hear that little X-Men animated song that plays. And it's like this huge deal. It's the first time ever that there's actually been announced a mutant in the MCU. And then Kamala just shrugs it yeah. off like it's no big deal. I liked how they did it. You know, it's it was like this mm-hmm. big buildup. The music plays, and you get your we're ready for Kamala to go. Oh no! And she goes, "Eh, whatever it is, it's just going to be another yeah. label. Keys, please." Right. It's a good yeah. point. <laughs> so she just shrugs it yeah. totally off. So can't wait to dive into this world, mutants yeah. in the MCU. Yeah. Um. But Nakia had already ripped the keys off of Bruno. She's in the driver's seat. They're going yeah. to get some shawarma. I nod. love that little nod to Avengers post-credits. Yep, yep. And the three friends go off for some food. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, just a, a good way to end with those three. Yeah. Because we uh, some of the, the best parts of this series were them together and their chemistry. So... Before we get to our uh, our post credit scene, we finished up here. Uh, how'd you think they put a bow on it? You know, with uh, with everything that happened with Kamala here in New Jersey. Story rise, uh, really nice. We have a lot of places to go from here. Uh, we've got some separation of our main characters, which is going to drive, I think, you know, some new, new story uh, lines, uh, some conflict perhaps between them. But some distance can either make the heart grow fonder or perhaps they uh, become a little bit cold to each other and have to find their way back to each other. Um, who knows uh, with, with that? I, I love the way that her parents and family are now supportive of her. I think that can create some interesting dynamics. We've seen a lot of 
you know, secret identity stuff in the past. So, you know, having a good support system of a family and not having to keep everything from them, that's an interesting dynamic to explore. And it also raises a lot of possibilities for conflict there because why do superheroes have the secret identity to protect those people? So all those people are now in danger. They've all stood up to help uh, Kamala at times. They stood up against the government. They're going to probably be uh, investigated further on that. And who knows, Kamala's whole family is probably being uh, monitored and surveilled at all times <laughs> moving forward now. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had from, from this. And obviously the post-credit sequence that we're going to get to, I think it's going to be the most immediate. It's going to have the most immediate effect on where we go uh, from here. Uh, as, as you know, Ms. Marvel will return in The Marvels alongside... Monica Rambeau uh, and uh, the Captain Marvel, uh, Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. So I think uh, uh, there's a lot that we can uh, do here. I think we're probably going to get that story in the movie, and then we're going to get season two, which is going to bring back a lot of these characters that we've come to know and love from this this season. I I, I have a an inkling that this Ms. Mar or this uh, the Marvels movie is not going to feature too many of the the side characters from this series, but it's going to have, uh, it's going to have Kamala in sort of a fish out of water and a completely new yeah. environment with new people. I think so too. And I, I would agree completely with you. We've had our ups and downs. Most of the series mm -hmm. I liked, I did like most yeah. of the episodes. I came out of it smiling, happy, having fun. Some stuff was a little bit underdeveloped, rushed, mm -hmm. And then maybe some of the CGI stuff, I think we have a lot of the same sort of gripes. But overall, yeah. I like the story. I like the tone right. of it. I like yeah. a lot of what they're doing. And so if that's the case, when they tried a few things that didn't work, I'll say, okay, that didn't work. It, mm -hmm. It's just we would love for the level of CGI and maybe the level of the TV shows to just be raised a little bit. Just yeah. a little bit. It, because – we, the, their highs are still high, but the lows of the shows seem a little bit lower than some of the movies and just some of the like the 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 amount that they put in. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I definitely think that Marvel uh, has overextended themselves a, a little bit. We've been touching on this, you know, for the as long as we've been talking about this, we've been talking about are they going to overextend themselves or you know how are they going to keep up this this pace? It's it's a, it's a huge unwieldy thing to manage all these schedules, all these budgets, have the stories interweave uh, in a way that makes sense uh, and don't contradict each other uh, and not you know step on the toes of directors who are coming in. Your talent, like there's so many variables in play. Uh, I think it's getting a little bit away from them. I don't think Kevin Feige can rein in and uh, have the quality control that they had in phase one or two. Uh, I think when I look at those phase one movies, um, and I'm really honest about it, I, I I see a difference. I see in even just the way that the frames are constructed. There's more uh, chiaroscuro. There's more um, depth and uh, character to, to the frame. Things look a little bit more timeless uh, when I look at um, the, 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 Iron, the first Iron Man movie, even. Just look at how his... Uh, how Tony Stark's armor looks in that movie and then look at how it kind of progresses even through like Infinity War and some of these where it just feels more CG. It feels a little bit more artificial and then extend that, you know, even beyond to the TV run. Uh, just look at the the, the runtime. That's something that uh, just has made the rounds recently is 
phase four has already eclipsed the entire runtime of all the phases that preceded it. So there's more hours in phase four than there are of any of all the other phases combined. So they're just doing a lot and their resources haven't expanded exponentially. They're just farming out a lot of this work to CG production houses. These are non-union labor. Uh, this is, uh, they're, they're keeping up with a schedule that they made pre-COVID and they're, and they're trying to stick to that as, as tightly as possible. I know they've pushed things back, but you know, COVID ended up being much more of a thing than I think anyone probably saw coming you know, in, in early 2020. I think it probably affected the slate and the way that they could approach the films and the hours that go into the films. Um, that all of that has shifted and they've had to you know, adjust to a new normal of, of, of timelines. And I, I can really see the strain of you know the weight of all these runtimes of all these different projects and COVID, which is still going and it's rearing its ugly head right now. We might see mask mandates again as early as next week in Los Angeles. I, I you know gun to my head. God damn, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> but I know, like I know. it's uh, you know we it, we were and you and I are recording. We're yeah, when you and I are recording right now, we pushed our our recording a week back because Stephanie, me, Milo, That's my right. mom, my dad, my sister all got COVID. Stephanie just tested negative, but Milo and I still have not had our uh, negative test quite yet. And I like honest, honestly, as you and I are recording this, we are literally about done in the next minute or two. I almost yeah. stopped you two different times through this interview because I felt like I had to go throw up. And like I felt oh, sick, geez. and I was yeah, like, you know what? COVID, I'm gonna man. power I'm so through sorry. this. I'm gonna power through this. Like, <laughs> I gonna, I just want to try to get through it. And it's funny because yesterday, like the two days before we recorded, I felt a lot mm-hmm. better. I got a lot of my work done, but there are like mm-hmm. little like waves or little moments where it's like it just sort of would hit me. Like, uh oh, I really don't yeah. feel good again. And, um, gosh, you're right. And, and you. it's one of those things where we, it's hard because we're 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 critiquing this show so at at one point we're not stupid we understand just like what you said the world was in a different place like everything wasn't operating at the same way the same level then on the flip side there has to be at least a base level right of of Mm -hmm. quality that we're looking for and i'm not saying that miss marvel didn't hit that i think miss marvel hit it fine i i enjoyed this series but i'm not Mm -hmm. at the I want there to be a lot of content. I'm someone who some people yeah. don't like Star Wars stuff or Marvel stuff. I like that we have more. Some's going to be great. There will mm-hmm. be other stuff here and there, but I like the fact that there's more. But if there's a, a pure baseline level that you can't hit for whatever reason it is, right? Yeah. If it's the you had issues with the actors, you had issues with the directors, you had issues with the timing, you had issues with the CGI. Mm-hmm. If there is a reason, you got to just wait. Like you yeah, gotta I, wait. That was the best. That was the point. Time. Is that we liked in in with with how things were in phase one and phase two. It was mm-hmm. one or two things a year, and then mm-hmm. that was it. You know, yeah. and we would talk all about it, but it wasn't like there wasn't these rushing to get things in because it had to be in by sweeps or by the start of May because that's when right. the next show's got to start. You know, like now this is. Because there is this big picture, they are, yeah. you know, it, you, you can you can feel it, like you can feel it a little bit, and that there's not quite as much purpose. Like I said, I haven't mm-hmm. seen Thor yet, but in in just hearing some things that people have mm-hmm. said, some positives, some negatives, but just that 
There is it doesn't feel like everything in this phase is leading to the same point. Yeah. Sort of like what we were getting with, you know, Infinity War and with Endgame, we knew where we were going. We knew we were headed to a point where everyone was going to come together. It, right. That was phase 1 too. I mean, we were meeting these these heroes and uh, enjoying their, you know, one-off stories and their backstories and their origins. Uh, but then the the tease, it was usually just in the post-credit sequence, is like the, we're doing the Avengers initiative. So that's what we were kind of converging toward was that these heroes are going to join forces at one point and be the Avengers. And so we were looking forward to that. And every little bit of anticipation helped to build up these moments. And then that amount of time that they had to work on these projects and focus on them, uh, I think the quality control was just a little bit better a lot better in some ways uh and right now what we're seeing is we're seeing the commerce side of things really dictating um the 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 quality and and what we're seeing on screen obviously this is disney this is a big business this is a multi-billion dollar business to them really uh but it shouldn't feel like that to the viewers you shouldn't feel like you're a consumer you know like there's this weird shift lately where things have become it's all become like content yeah. or consumers. Like I still like to think of uh, the medium of film and television as an art form. And, you know, I, obviously it takes money to produce those things. And a lot of work and people's jobs go into that. But at the end of the day, what, what I want to appreciate is a piece of art, whether it's pop art or whether it's something with, you know, even a greater sense of, of depth or specificity. Uh, I like uh, I like art, though. I like art in all forms. And I feel more and more when I'm watching these that I'm that I'm just buying something or that I'm, you know, I, it's like almost I like I, I, I've got this subscription, you know, yeah. and that this is just the, the this month's subscription. And it's a, a little point. bit less of a um, a little bit less of, of uh, a payoff for me personally. There's less anticipation, less uh, build up and then less of a dopamine hit, you know, when I actually get in that theater and, and experience it, it all, it, it, it's kind of feeling a little bit more meh and mid, uh, than it, than it should. And because it's so frequent, that's ample. That's the sense of that is amplified because, you know, if, if they were just delivering like balls to the wall, 10 out of 10, every episode out, and I couldn't believe what they were doing. Like even still at this pace, there would still be a little bit of like, yeah, okay. Like we, we got a really cool episode last week. Like mm-hmm. that building that anticipation just does something. There's a, there's a, it's part of our psychology though. That it is putting a little bit of space in between our um, things that give you pleasure will amplify the, the pleasure when, when that thing finally comes around. But if you're doing that pleasurable thing all the time, that's something more akin to addiction. And that's something that's like, it's you, you, you get diminished pleasure with it, with, you know, an addictive dynamic, an addiction dynamic. So I feel like we're kind of in this weird stage now where the MCU needs to course correct, needs to kind of redefine itself. Mm-hmm. And I think taking, honestly, taking a step back a little bit, uh, pushing back some of their upcoming releases, rethinking how they're going to, uh, you know, lay lay things out because they're diminishing their brand they're 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 devaluing themselves in a way and i know they're they're making more money every year but that will eventually teeter off to where each thing that they release is not going to get the same impact financially culturally you name it 
Well, it ends up. It reminds me a lot of what ends up happening with um, right now with WWE. I'll, I'll give as a comparison. Mm-hmm. So for them, they have a show every Monday, Monday Night Raw, which is which for a long time was two hours, and it's live. Mm-hmm. So every week, it's live storyline. So you have to have a new show written. It's not like you can ever have a rerun. So right. the now. Then after they got bigger, you know, years ago, they got a show on Friday night for SmackDown. So now they have two hours on Monday and two hours on Friday that are completely different storylines, all new, always having to be, you know, fresh, new scripts written every week. What ended up happening is Monday night, the ratings were doing so well, they wanted to extend to three hours now. So now Mm. on Monday night, They've got three hours, then they've got two hours on Friday. (laughs) And what ends up happening is like, I'm a wrestling fan. I understand why you're doing it because they're getting more advertising money and they just make more money by having a three hour show versus a two hour show. But the problem is it dilutes all of the content. And, And so there's only so much exciting shit you can put out there each week that's live to where you start getting the point where it's like, gosh, this was like, there was about an hour of good stuff on that three-hour show. Right. And then you sometimes know, you get you get to that point where it is less more here. I feel like less is absolutely. more. Absolutely. And what ends up happening is you like you start you, your fans get less and less interested into it in it. You know, yeah. there's always gonna be the hardcores that watch whatever you put out, no matter what. That's fine. Yeah. But the the novice fans, the people, the the people that you're you're trying to get hooked, the ones that aren't your hardest score fans. They're right. the ones that are okay with like, oh, there's three hours. Oh, okay, I can kind of tune. It just becomes a little bit too much. And that's right. – we're we're kind of in that area here right now. So we There's just a barrier keep- of entry. The more stuff, the more backstory there is. I, I've heard from people going, I, I want to watch these movies, but like where do I start? Do I have to watch them all? Like I have to watch from Iron Man and it's like 300 hours? Like I, I have a job. I have a family. <laughs> I'm never going to finish this. It, it, I don't want to be confused. Am I going to be confused because I don't know what's going on or what character this is? Like, I, I've, I've heard that. So I think we're well beyond that point at this at this stage. Uh, and it's only going to compound from here. The post credit scene. Yeah. Carol Danvers in Kamala's room. Uh, Kamala lays down in her bed. She's tired. But the Bengal lights up. And like a tornado, Kamala is gone. In her place, yeah. it's Captain Marvel. Who looks very confused. (laughs) Two theories. Yeah. I heard two theories about this. One that, you know, it was like a um, shape-shifting thing where Kamala uh, shape-shifted into her, you know, her idol here. Uh, But I think most people agreed that it was the other option, which is that they literally just swapped places in reality. Okay. Yeah, I think that that probably... I think they just swap places maybe with the Bengals. Yeah. Is that what we're thinking? Yeah. yeah like the Bengals, yeah, just the, well, the whole trading places. It, it, uh, yeah, pretty much like that. They essentially traveled. Uh, they switched places like wherever Captain Marvel was uh, is where Kamala is now. And Captain Marvel is now where Kamala was. Uh, and I think that has to do with the the um, the Bengal is probably an, a nega band. So they're probably traveling through the negative zone, uh, which is Captain Marvel lore, like the original Captain Marvel. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's probably, I think most people agree that's what it is. I did hear though, some people 
maybe thought it could be shape-shifting. That is something that I believe Kamala can do in the comics. Uh, she can embiggen, she can you know, stretch out, so she can also shape-shift to look like somebody. Um, I don't know if they're going to have that in the MCU version. I know they're definitely changing things about the character. Obviously, she's not an inhuman. She's a, a mutant in this. She's got this hard light, which is a little bit of a different look. Uh, even though it has a similar effect, it's a different look than, you know, what she is in the comics, where she's more of just a, a stretchy, you know, uh, you know, manipulates her her body size and shape kind of a deal. Um, so, yeah, I'm very interested to see where they go with this. And I got to say, also, I love the effect in this case. If I'm going to be critical of the hard light in other cases, I really liked this tornado thing that you described. Uh, I thought that looked really cool on screen. I agree. I thought it looked kind of cool. It, it did yeah. look cool. So Carol Danvers and Miss Marvel, we've got uh, a trading yeah. places situation here, yeah. and we will find out where they uh, where they are, what's next for them in the Marvels. Anytime there's anything going on in the world of MCU, we will be here with you. Tim Kelly joining me, and next up, it's going to be Thor, Love, and Thunder, so we'll check that mm-hmm. one out. And in the next week or two, we'll do the deep dive on Thor, TK, yeah. my friend, I know you've got to get running. I appreciate you calling an audible and helping out this morning uh, on a slightly different time. And thanks so much no for, uh, for talking Miss Marvel, man. We got another one in the books. I, it, we're season. stacking it. We're stacking it, man. We got a lot of content here that people, hours and hours. Yeah. I feel like we just started with Wanda. Uh, I know. Just yesterday almost. But now that it I think does. of it, I, I remember doing the Wanda one. Uh, from the hospital when my son was born. My, yeah. Now my son's uh, almost a year and a half, so like, time true. really does fly. Unbelievable, <laughs> man. It's always a blast. We thank you so much for helping us out. We're all going to give you a follow. Tim is not funny on social media, and I uh, look forward to talking some uh, some Thor with you coming soon. All right. I look forward to that, too. Yes. lot lot to discuss on that one. <laughs> thank you Thanks so you much, know. buddy. I appreciate it. You have a great few days, and uh, we'll have Tim Kelly back talking Thor soon and the next week or two here on that's what g said don't go anywhere folks still a lot more to discuss that's gonna do it for this episode big thank you to tk tim kelly who always helps us out with everything marvel so we've got a thor deep dive for you coming up soon and then we'll get into she hulk that's going to be the next disney plus series on the week to week episodes thanks so much to andrew for helping out we've got another episode of the old wrestling rewatch coming up very soon with andrew hopefully we could lead you to a few winners at saratoga and at del mar don't forget to get involved in all those stable duel contests this weekend good luck in all your plays so much content coming out this weekend from that's what g said Take a look because there's a lot of stuff out there. Enjoy and have an awesome weekend.